When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. The big Wednesday pod is upon us. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, your Ohio State coverage team from Cleveland.com. And we are giving it to you quick, fast, little like uh, snappy, little snappy today. We got a week ago, it was kind of a slog a little bit. This is going to be interesting and peppy. And we're all going to get to talk. Stephen is not just going to have to listen to me scream for two and a half hours. Nathan and Steven, are you guys excited about what's coming on the pod? Steven first. I am. We, you know, it's of a, a wide variety of different things that we get to talk about. It's going to be interesting and a, you know, a little switch up from what we've been doing on Wednesday. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to hear some of you guys' thoughts. So we are not doing the team preview on this Wednesday. We've done Bowling Green two weeks ago, Oregon last week. The team preview this week as we work through the Ohio State schedule is Buffalo and I talked to Buffalo coach Lance Leipold for 40 minutes, and he is going to be the Thursday pod. So the Thursday pod, the standalone weekday pod, is going to be all about Ohio State Buffalo week three. But what we are doing here, we got 20 questions from tech subscribers, and we are limiting our discussion on each topic to five minutes. And then we're going to do the next round of fast food voting at the end. Nathan, do you believe – that we can actually keep the conversation on each topic to five minutes. I believe that Steven and I can keep the topic of conversation <laughs> to five minutes on each topic. So, I mean, I like when I say like things, Hey, everybody, we're going to limit our discussion. I'm just trying to shut myself up. Right. And you guys are in favor of that. So at least the effort is there. Yeah, sure. But you're skeptical. <laughs> Look at this guy. Silent. You are silent with skepticism. Nathan, are you shaking your head? Are you rolling your eyes? What are you doing there as you're lying in your bed listening to me proclaim that I'm going to shut myself up? I'm not lying in my bed. I'm sitting up in my bed with my dog curled up at my feet. Um, I, I think I think we can do it. I think this is a challenge. I think we're up to this challenge. I think we've been you know practicing for this with the 30-minute pods, right, where we try to condense things a little bit. I think we can just do – 20 even minier pods. That's basically what we're doing here. Yeah, well, we always go well, over 20 with the 30-minute pods. We go over with the 30-minute pods a lot. So the practice is, you know. It's the 30-minute right. pods that are always 49 minutes long. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do, we, we sent this out to the tech subscribers. I said, give us a topic, give us a question that we can discuss in five minutes. It's not five minutes each. It's five minutes. The three of us will in five minutes discuss these topics. There's 20 of them. That's 100 minutes. It's an hour and 40 minutes, and then we'll get to the fast food stuff. So that's the plan. 
I don't have a buzzer or a gong or anything like that, but I do. I am going to have the stopwatch on my phone, so I don't think I will cut people off in mid-sentence. But I'm going to end it. So, and if it's such a great discussion, then we can bring it up maybe deeper on another pod. But for this, we want it to be quick and fun, and we want you to be part of it. I was, I occasionally the textures almost bring like uh, tears to my eyes sometimes because they're so involved, they're so smart. Some of you are hearing that. It's not a they, it's a you, it's a we. We appreciate your involvement so much. And when I, we put out something like the call for this and I watch it start trickling in, it's like, ah, 18 responses, 31 responses. And then before you know it, there's 100. There's 100 people throwing out ideas to help us come up with interesting stuff to talk about. And I'm so grateful and I'm so always amazed by the great ideas that people have. So to those of you who are friends of the pod, who are paying to be tech subscribers, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month, send a text to 614-350-3315. We're so grateful, not just that you're paying for this, but that you're helping us think stuff up because sometimes our ideas run out a little bit. So great questions. We're going to do 20. If we don't get to yours, we have many more that could have fit in here and we just couldn't do them all. So I have those saved and we will do them on a different pod another time. But for now, here we go. Five minute discussions on 20 different topics, most of them Ohio State football related, a couple off the beaten path, but almost all of them sports related, not too crazy on fast food or robots or anything. Here we go with number one, from the 412. And I won't start the clock until the question is finished so we can give ourselves five minutes of talking. From the 412, what should the expectation be for Ohio State when it comes to national championships? How many years between each championship is normal? Every time an elite recruiting class goes to the NFL, you always hear, well, they didn't win a championship. But should the expectation be that Ohio State wins a championship every four-year recruiting cycle? A championship every four years would be incredible. Winning championships in college football is extremely difficult, so what is a fair expectation? Nathan, we'll start with you and go now. Well, I sort of wrote about this today, and I think it's 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 dangerous to get into this thing where we think about it in terms of if you don't have one in a certain amount of years, that means you've failed in some way. I think it has a lot more to do with putting yourself in position to win a championship. Um so Ohio State, because Ohio State did that last year, they did everything right except actually win the championship in a lot of ways. I mean, they had all the talent that they needed. They had, in a lot of ways, the schedule they needed. They had a lot of things going their way, and some bad breaks at the very end contributed to them not winning it. So I, I don't think it, I don't think it needs to be a certain number of years. I think it just needs to be. Is Ohio State putting itself in position to win the national championship every single year? Because when you do that, eventually you will get those championships. I don't think there's a set number of years that you have to have one. Man, we come out of the box hot with Nathan avoiding the answer to the question. No. Well, you guys you guys go. I mean, what, what's your answer? I said once a decade. I think once a decade is reasonable. Uh, if you look at the gaps in Ohio State National Championships, starting with 1942, and I'm only counting the real six, not the other two kind of fake ones they count for their eight. The gap starting in 42, 12-year gap, 3-year gap, 11-year gap, 36-year gap, 12-year gap. So now we are now going to be six years removed from the title in 2014. I think once a decade is reasonable. You look at the teams that would meet this threshold of winning one every four years, 
Who has done that in the era since Woody Hayes? I think I use the end of Woody's career sort of as a dividing line for the new era of Ohio State football. Since 1979, these are the programs that have won, had have won at least have won like more than one every four years. Bama in 78-79, Penn State in 82-86, Miami in 87-89-91, Nebraska 94-95-97, USC 03-04, Florida 06-08, Clemson 16-18, and the modern-day Bama dynasty under Saban. That is not a big group, and I don't think it's fair to say Ohio State has to win one every four years. But I think once a decade – I think is reasonable that at some point, and we've talked about this a lot, Nathan, that I, I agree with the idea of it. it's about being in the mix, but I think to say, Hey, once every 10 years, we want one, we want the ring. We want the parade. We want the celebration. I think that's reasonable. So that's my number, Steven. I'm leaning towards that same thing, Doug is once a decade, they win one, but looking at the way they're starting to recruit here, I'm creeping toward, I'm creeping down in the number of years that should be in between some of these national championships. If they're going to live in the number one, number two spot in recruiting rankings, and well, they're up, and, they're, and then they're getting to the college football playoff, which is what Nathan is getting to as far as putting themselves in position. Well, then they should probably be winning one every five or six years at that matter. If they're going to do what they're doing right now in 2021 and have started to do in 2022, along with being a playoff team every year, well, Every five, six years, that should pay off in you winning a national championship. Can I say this? This is my, this is my threshold in the four-team playoff because I think Ohio State would increase its chances as the playoff expands because Ohio State's biggest hurdle is getting in. It's getting in the playoff. But if we go to an eight-team playoff where every conference champ is in and then there's like two wild cards a year for teams that don't win conference titles – you expand the number of times Ohio State has a chance to win it because some of this stuff is a little bit out of their control. And what we've seen and we've talked about a million times is one slip-up kills you. If you get past the point where one slip-up doesn't kill you, then I think they do have the ability to compete on the field with anybody. And in an 18 playoff, I would increase it more than once a decade then. Nathan, if the playoff expands, would that affect your answer at all? I think – yeah, I mean, I guess then it, it does become almost, I think, a certainty that they would be in that like once a decade um, kind of rotation. It's just it's just so hard. I mean, we saw last year just how hard this is. You can have a collection of talent that is like like I wrote today, like you that that Ohio State team from 2019, you could take that team and transport it to any other year in the history of college football. And that team should be contending for a national championship. It just didn't win one because some things got in the way. A really good team was in the way. Two really good teams are in the way. You can't always predict that. So it, it, it's, that's what makes it very difficult to say with certainty that you've got to win one every X number of years. And I think the Alabama-Clemson thing recently has also kind of skewed that a little bit. But I do think it is, it is absolutely reasonable for Ohio State fans or, or anybody to look at what they have from facilities, what they do in recruiting, what they do in terms of, of revenues, and say, why aren't you – doing something more at least closer to what Clemson and Alabama are doing five minutes and two seconds we're out on that topic number two this is from the 816 who will be the next Big Ten team not named Ohio State to make the college football playoff we know of course that Michigan State has made it in the playoff era otherwise it's just Ohio State in the Big Ten starting the clock Stephen we'll start with you next Big Ten team not Ohio State I'm going to go Penn State just because they've played Ohio State tough every single year. 
And Ohio State's been the team in their way. And so if they go into a season where you know, they beat Ohio State and they get they win a Big Ten championship game, they're the team that's going to get in. So it, it would take Ohio State goes to Happy Valley and Penn State beats them at home. But I would say Penn State 100% is the team that, other than Ohio State, that would get in. That is my answer as well. Nathan, what's your answer? So that was going to be my answer, but the more that I thought about it, here's the other. Here's the scenario I think that might be even likelier. A team from the Big Ten West has a very Clemson-like season in terms of running through a relatively easy schedule. They don't have to play Ohio State that year. They don't have to maybe play uh, either Michigan or Penn State on the road, something like that. They get a very favorable schedule and then – lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game, but were ranked high enough going into that that they get kind of that backdoor fourth spot. So I'm going to pick somebody from the West, and I'm going to say Wisconsin. You you missed the Wisconsin oh, yeah. ranting pod last week. Did yeah. you catch up on that? No, no, no. This is this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what you guys were talking about with yeah. the Wisconsin pod. Uh, I did listen to that pod. That was the one pod I listened to, by the way. That was the Tuesday pod. And then I was like, I'm, I'm – I'm checking out. So, but you no, I just got lazy. I had other things to listen to. It was my it was my week of furlough. Yeah, well, we I got to it. just indulge. It makes um, sense. But but I'm 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 agreeing with the with the with the premise of that is that these these teams sometimes get propped up and I I've seen it you've seen it happen with other teams around the country where you get propped up to a certain extent and then it gets to the end where you've got three really good teams and then it's like well which of these other teams is the fourth team and I could see a scenario like where I'm talking about where. Um, it, it could have happened last year. Maybe Wisconsin, what if Wisconsin hadn't lost to Illinois last year? Couldn't they have easily been the, the fourth team getting in last year? Um, even though they lost, they would have had two losses to Ohio State, I guess, so not. But let's say they didn't play at Ohio State during the regular season, and they don't lose at Illinois, and instead they beat somebody else besides Ohio State. I, I could easily have seen them being the fourth team that gets slid in in the back end of that. So um, just And also just so we're not all picking Penn State. I'm going with Wisconsin. So the thing is, and I think I argued this in the Wisconsin ranting podcast, is that I just think when you get in that room at the end of the at the end of the the playoff discussion, and you have those 13 people in the room deciding this, and that fourth spot comes up, and it's a team like that that you lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, and we're assuming, okay, well you didn't have to play Ohio State during the year. How good is the rest of your schedule? I just don't see them winning the conversation. I think it's much more likely that somebody in the East during the regular season beats Ohio State on the field, Mm -hmm. and that's the path. I think, believe it or not, I think it's almost easier to beat Ohio State on the field than it is to beat the other teams in the committee room if you're trying to be the second-best Big Ten team. Steven, you're kind of agreeing with that. I agree with that because then beating Ohio State is concrete evidence while, to your point, okay, you lost to the best team in your conference from a talent standpoint, and there's not another team on your schedule who's anywhere close to Ohio State. So how do we know that you're any good versus you just beat a, a weak schedule? I think that has been the easiest path, and especially in the case of a team like Penn State. I think if they don't do it this year, though, I think it's going to get tough because I think, as we've talked about before, Ohio State is separating a little bit. The other thing I will say is that I actually don't think this will happen, a bit another Big Ten team making the CFP, until we go to eight teams. And then it's then it becomes – then it's wide open. So you don't think – like you don't think a good Penn State team can jump up and bite Ohio State I think they can. I just don't think they will. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to happen this year, and I don't think it's going to happen in um, – because I think we're going to eight teams pretty soon probably. So and I, I, it's going to be moot at that point. 
I do think, I mean, the scenario that you're talking about, Nathan, that's what's on the table for Wisconsin this year. They're at yep. Michigan for one of their East games and, and mm-hmm. at Michigan in week four. That's like a perfect time to catch Michigan. Michigan will be undefeated probably. Like it'll look like a good win. Then they have neutral site in Lambeau Field against Notre Dame the next week. Then they have Minnesota at home. Minnesota has some cachet right now. If Wisconsin goes through that three-game stretch, they're going to get a lot of pub if they win all those games. Then they can ease through the back half of their schedule, and I think they'd be puffed up. Like The scenario you're talking about, Nathan, it's on the table for this year. Yep. And if and, and just think of where they're going to be at going into the season. That's what you guys are already talking about. With their, they already are getting kind of this uh, unwarranted – uh, high floor going into the into the season. So if they start fairly high, then they don't have then then those early wins keep them up there because then they're not going to get challenged on the back half of that schedule. Moving on to the next one, we just came in just under five minutes on that from the three one zero coming at you from Los Angeles. I'm thinking of Buckeyes from the last five years. Which players would have the best chance of being a Hollywood movie star? Chase Young is a scary uh, as a good scary bad guy. The Bosa brothers as a buddy cop duo. Mike Weber in a comedy. That's our Hollywood question from the 310. I'll start with this, and I'm going to answer it by – I have this answer loaded up for lots of different questions, and my answer is Braxton Miller is handsome. So, like, Braxton Miller in, like, a romantic comedy – not a romantic comedy, like a, ro- like a romantic, like, almost like it's one of those movies where, like, the women are, you know, sort of out looking for a guy and, like, they look across the restaurant and, like, the guy walking in is, like, Braxton Miller in that blue suit. I can't remember what he wore it to, but you guys have seen Braxton Miller, like, in a little bit of, like, the the light, not light blue, but sort of like a sea blue suit. And, like, all the women, like, their eyes get big and that that's Braxton, and he doesn't have to – not that he's leading the movie, but he just has to be, like, the cool, handsome guy. Like, I think Braxton Miller is done playing football. I would get him to Hollywood right now and start having him walk into pitch meetings and say, write the script around this, but his role is the handsome guy who walks in. Maybe I'm a little too into that, but I just think Braxton's got a way about him that he would be very charismatic on the screen in that role as well. And then his crazy friend who like was parking the car and then comes in after him is Tyvis Powell. And I think Tyvis is very charismatic. So I'm all in on the cool Braxton, crazy Tyvis being like the objects of affection and kind of a little bit of like a sexy, like a sexy, you know, like a sexy movie, sexy wow. movie, like a sexy movie. One more Steven. time. You don't have – you guys, just so you know, it doesn't have to be a sexy movie. It can be another kind of movie. But, Stephen, what's yours? Tyrus Powell, Cardell Jones, reality TV show. Put him in a house and get the cameras rolling, and let's just see what happens. That is what, that's all I want to see. How are they not doing that right now? Literally. literally I'm, if they do it, I want a producer's credit. Literally, put them in a house, quarantine, just those two, cameras rolling. Big Brother. Right there. All they have to do is like turn their cell phone on right That's now it. and start making money. That's it. Do I, it. I did a story. I, can't, I still can't believe Ohio State let me do it. When, I guess before the 15th season, I went and like hung out with Cardale and Tyvis at their apartment for a day. Not a whole day. But like, I, I did like a version of like cribs. And like they showed me their bedrooms and I did like little videos and I like watched them play video games. I just like hung out with them. And having done that, Yes, Steven, producer Steven, you are correct. 
That is a great pitch. If someone is listening who knows Tyvis and Cardale, tell them, turn on the camera, start printing money. Nathan, what's yours? Well, obviously, I only have one season of experience around these guys to really judge by. So I went with guys who I thought just had the, the kind of outgoing. Well, in one case, it was a guy with an outgoing personality that I think would just want to be on stage and want to be in front of the camera and ham it up and do that sort of stuff. And that's Drew Chrisman, who I know isn't probably what this guy with this question was going for in terms of just like that sort of like charisma or or whatever, but like which guy actually wants to go out and perform? I mean, that's that's what he does. I mean, he's already kind of doing that. So I picked Drew Christman for one, and I picked Jeff Okuda for the other one because he's a guy that I could see being some kind of like a like a James Bond or like some kind of action star. Um, some like put him in the Mission Impossible franchise or something like that, where he can go out and do all these like athletic things as well as anybody kind of in the world is doing them right now at, at his chosen focus. But then also it was like this cool and calm, collected guy. Like you could put him in a suit in the next scene and, and he would like blend in and be like just like that, that kind of guy. So those are my two picks. But you also do think, I mean, you didn't cover him, but I mean, you think Braxton Miller's handsome, right? I, I, got, I can't, I, I couldn't pick, I don't think I could pick Braxton Miller out of a lineup. You should really go, just really go <laughs> online. Just like your browser history. It's like, Nathan, why are you looking up all these pictures of Braxton Miller? Doug made me do it. Um, <laughs> I will also say, we know the Chase Young Predator nickname. Like, if Chase Young gets famous enough and they do, like, Predator 6. They're going to put him in the movie. Yeah. You just give Chase Young, like, a bazooka yeah. and, like, a, a, a shirt with, well, with, like, the sleeves ripped off and you tell him to, like, stand in the jungle and be yeah. part of the crew chasing the Predator. Um, Chase, would be, I, Chase could do that. Chase could be, like, do, like, a little mini version of The Rock or whatever. And it's funny. You talk about this stuff. There are so many athletes who turn into this. Delvon Rowe from Northeast Ohio, who played basketball at Michigan State, is in Hollywood. He's doing the acting thing. So it's like sports people turn into actors all the time. Burt Reynolds played football at Florida State. So, like, it's fun to think about, but it's actually not impossible for this kind of thing to happen. All right, back to football from the 5-1-7. Question number four. Do you think Ohio State will end up with the number one class in the country? Of course, we are talking about 2021 recruiting. Uh, the Buckeyes are ranked number one right now. Steven, start with you. Will they end up number one when we are done with all of this after signing day? Yes, and this recent run from Tennessee is proof as to why. Tennessee's up to 21 commits right now, and they're still 40 points behind what Ohio State has put together in this short stretch of time with 17 commits at 295 points. And they're not done. There's still room to add some other guys, but also to get picky and only add top 10 players in the country, which they're in the running for three of those guys right now. The only team where I would even at this point look at and say, hmm, maybe they can do something here. is just because they haven't, they've been extremely quiet. And that's Alabama, who's had a top five recruiting class every year since 2008. <laughs> Right now they're number 47, and they've only gotten four commitments, so they haven't really revved up their engine yet. But the way things are looking, teams can go on these commit runs, and because Ohio, the quality of the commits Ohio State got, no one's going to be able to catch it. Ohio State isn't competing with the peers anymore. They're competing with history. Nathan. Yes, they'll, they'll be the number one for all the reasons that, that Steven just said. I just don't think anybody can catch them. I mean, they, they have both the volume and the um, – you know, elite level, uh, both. That's what was so impressive about what they were doing. I just don't think anybody can catch them. I, I want to give credit on this because when I went to go research this and we here at cleveland.com, we always use 247 sports um, for all the rankings that we reference. 
and and maybe I don't think this is why the person asked this because they asked the question yesterday as as we record this uh, on Tuesday afternoon. But Tuesday morning, Steve Wiltfong at Two Four Seven Sports, who's one of the best national recruiting guys out there, wrote a story, and the headline is "The Race for Number One: Ohio State's About to Have Company." And so what he's talking about is he's Stephen, the point that you made that Tennessee has gotten a lot of attention the past couple of days because all of a sudden somebody has more, a greater number of recruits than Ohio State. Tennessee is bringing in some good people, but it is about these programs that don't have many guys yet. And the main two, and again, I would recommend anyone go read this story from Steve Wolfong, but you mentioned one, Stephen, Alabama at number 47 right now with only four commits. And then Georgia is ranked 17th right now with only seven commits. And again, Steve makes this point. George is in on a lot of dudes. Um, for instance, Corey Foreman, the guy who just decommitted from Clemson a couple weeks ago, the defensive end, they're in on him. They're in on Tony Grimes, who's that cornerback from Virginia that Ohio State and all the top programs are in on. There is a path for Georgia, and, I, and it does make me – I mean, it's not, it doesn't matter that much. It doesn't make me nervous, but like – I don't know, Stephen, those Southern teams, right? I mean, it's not like the reason Georgia and Alabama don't have many commits yet. It's not because like there's anything wrong. Mm -hmm. They're just waiting. They're targeting the best of the best of the best. They're not taking any early guys. Maybe they aren't trying to close guys as quickly as Ohio State is. But I do think Bama and Georgia have a chance. If I had to bet right now, I would agree with you guys. And it would be a big deal because Ohio State's never had a number one class. I mean, Urban Meyer's best two classes in 13 and 17 finished number two. But right, as long as as long as a major SEC power or Clemson, and Clemson's in that mix too, as long as they have a lot of spots still, Stephen, they're always a threat because they might start stacking five stars at some point. And that's the deal, especially with Georgia and Bama, because they're because well, they're not doing anything. At least with Clemson. To, before Corey Foreman decommitted, they had some little bit of a run with commitments after their junior day in January. But these other schools, they're just not doing it. They're just – obviously, they're taking their time a little bit more while Ohio State, because they had pretty much had a full class going into the 2019 season for the 2020 class, they were able to do this. And and I do think the thing that, that gives you confidence in Ohio State holding on to number one is – there are still so many – there's a couple major five stars out there that Ohio State still might reel in. They're not going to – they're not just going to fill in the rest of this class. No. They're at 17 right now. They're not just going to fill in with guys in the 200s and 300s. They're going to – they would potentially add two or three more, like, top 50 kids to this group. Right, Stephen? That's where they're at. They're, they're picky. It's, if we're going to add somebody to this position, we're adding the number one player in the country at that position. All right, so we all agree we think Ohio State will finish with the number one class in the country, four minutes and 34 seconds. The fifth question from the 937, who are the three schools most likely to be the next Clemson? I think it has to be a team in a fertile recruiting area that could have enough boosters and backing from the school to capitalize when needed. This, this text from the 937 says, my three would be North Carolina, one of the Arizona schools, and Arkansas. And I will say, I will add this caveat that when I sent these questions out to Stephen and Nathan, I said, do anybody who is not a regular national playoff contender right now? Because I totally get where the 937 is coming from with Carolina, Arkansas, and, and one of the Arizona schools. I think actually probably Arizona State has a better chance right now than Arizona. Because they're all programs that never really have been on the national scene. 
and I think that's the Clemson comparison that they're trying to make. But Clemson won a national title in the 80s, and they didn't exactly come out of nowhere. But I think there's such a gap between the top five teams we talk about all the time, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and uh, Clemson, that anybody who's not those five, to me, would fit this category because that team has not been a regular national title tender in the playoff era. So those are our parameters for this excellent, excellent question. Nathan, we'll start with you. So uh, slightly influenced by what's been happening in the recruiting, uh, one of the teams that jumped up to the forefront of my mind was Tennessee, somebody who has a history of being able to to you know win at the highest level, somebody who has obviously receded from that kind of upper tier of college football recently, but somebody who also is now starting to, at least if, if you're just going by the recruiting rankings, is is acquiring the talent necessary to maybe push itself back up there. And you get to put you get to be in the SEC East. I know that Georgia's good and Florida's good too, but but being away from Alabama and only having to maybe potentially beat them on a neutral site in a SEC championship game in order to get into the playoff and give yourself that kind of chance obviously helps too. Um do you have two other ones or do you just lean on Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee was, was like my number one. I also threw out uh, Florida kind of for the same reason, although their success I think has, has been more recent. So I don't know if that fits um, where they were coming from and Texas similar, similar I, again. And I don't know if that f- fits what they were asking because the gap hasn't necessarily been there, but some of those teams have really receded completely from really contending for a national championship. Oh, so. I think, I think they fit. And that's the point that, it, I mean, it's such a gap. Nobody, Texas is, uh, there's no school in Texas right now that's at the forefront of people's minds. No school in Florida that's at the forefront of like when you say, who is going to win the national title this year? They do not come up. So I think they all fit. And those are my answers basically too. I had Tennessee. Then I think the other two answers, there's a Florida school and a Texas school. Because the idea that we are now this far into the playoff era and no school in Texas nor any school in Florida has really had an impact that Florida State won it in the last year before the playoff, but that they've had such turmoil since then and have not contended, it's crazy to me. So I said, I'm going to pick a school from each of those states beyond. So Tennessee was one of mine. I picked Miami because I think Manny Diaz might be the right kind of coach to get that swag back for the Hurricanes. And either Florida State, Florida, or Miami should be a national title contender. But I think – Florida has a little tougher go because there's room in the ACC for somebody else to be good besides Clemson. So whether it's Florida State or Miami, do you like Manny Diaz? Do you like Mike Norvell, who was just hired at Florida State? One of those two schools. And then in the state of Texas, I went Texas A&M. Texas is a great answer, but they just ponied up to pay Jimbo Fisher however much he's making to get him to leave Florida State to come there. They have the backing. I think they probably see an opening to no longer be the little brother in Texas because Texas has the University of Texas has swung that door wide open. So I said Texas A&M again in the SEC. It's tough, but I do think there has to be somebody else. It can't be these same five teams for the next five years. Somebody's going to jump up. Stephen, who do you have? I I also had Florida and North Carolina on my list, but the school I'm going to cave for is Arizona State. I think to the point of the question. Clemson is also in a conference where it's it's them and then crap for everybody. No one else is good. Well, Arizona State can be in that same kind of situation where the Pac-12 isn't the best conference in the world, 
and Tom Herman there. He's they finished the season. I'm sorry, not not Tom or Herm Edwards. I'm sorry, those two different Herm Edwards has finished that team has finished ranked the past two seasons with him as their head coach. He's clearly building something over there. He's in a quality area as far as recruits in Arizona and also the West Coast in general, where you see a lot of that talent coming east because that's where all the good teams are right now. So he's got a recruiting bed going on, but also he's just in a conference where if if they take a step and they become what Clemson has become or some level of that, they could clear, there could clearly be a gap in between where Arizona State is as a program and where the majority of the Pac-12 is as a program. I'm totally here for a coach named Herm Herman, by the way. Herm Herman. <laughs> Herm Herman. Yeah. Bring me Herm Herman. I'm, I, I'm went a to, little... I went to school with a kid named David Davis, and there was a yes. kid in the next town over named Neil McNeil. And I'm like, what are you parents doing? <laughs> yes. I saw, yeah, I saw a guy, everybody around my town, they put up like the banners for kids graduating from high school. I ran past a kid's yard the other day. His name was Luke Gehrig. And it was spelled differently oh. than the Gehrig, but I was like, it's not, okay, you're right there. I'm surprised they went there. But I will say, North Carolina and Arizona State, older coaches who were sort of there for like a final hurrah, Mac Brown at North mm-hmm. Carolina, Herm Edwards at Arizona State. I can't tell if that's like genius or if I'm very skeptical of them being like, we're going to get them over the top because they're clearly taking those two programs from sort of afterthoughts to better than they were. I I have some doubts about whether those are guys who could actually take a jump to getting those programs to playoff level on a consistent basis. Question number six, little off topic here. I've been watching The Last Dance. That's the Bulls, uh, Michael Jordan documentary. I'm sure you three have been watching it also. The Michael Jordan part about bullying his teammates, sometimes your teammates need it. Do you believe Troy Smith was the same way back in 2006? That's from the 706. I'll start off on this because I've talked about some of the Last Dance stuff before. Um, I think Troy was magnetic. I don't know that. I don't think Troy was bullying to that extent. Um, I think Troy demanded certain things. I think Troy led by example. I think Troy had it, whatever it is. When you talk about leadership, I think maybe he had it as much as anybody that I've covered at Ohio State in 15 years. But I do, I, th- I think it's an interesting discussion about all this stuff that everyone is having this discussion about Michael Jordan and the bullying and being a good teammate and being a leader and the sacrifices you make sometimes. I am very surprised through all of this that there is any expectation that anybody would think that Michael Jordan should be nice. Great people. If you are great, if you are a genius at your skill, if you are the hardest working person at the thing that you do, very, very seldom are you nice. It's practically a prerequisite to not be nice. So I have been somewhat surprised and a guy that I know who I think is a great writer and a great columnist, and I know him, I've worked with him before, his name is Mike Silski. He's a columnist, uh, sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, wrote a big column that got a lot of reaction about Jordan being a bully, especially to, to Jerry Krause at a time when Jerry Krause has passed on and is not here to defend himself. I'm, I'm very surprised there's any expectation of, of anyone thinking that, this, that Jordan would be anything other than this. This is who he is, and if he wasn't this, I don't know that he'd have six rings. Nathan, the idea of a, a leader who isn't a nice guy, what have you thought of the discussion that The Last Dance has brought out? I don't know where people have been that they thought Michael Jordan was a nice guy. I mean, this guy is – we have a pretty well-documented uh, 
public history of this guy. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad human, but he's not a good guy. He's never he doesn't treat people well. I don't think that and it's and I think those those stories about him and his teammates have been out there a long time. So um, I, I will say that this is something I notice this even when I played sports poorly back in in high school and in younger ages that there were coaches who I liked better and who were nicer guys, but the which is a kick our butt a little bit, not physically, but like who, who who pushed us in a different way, even though we didn't like those guys sometimes personally, those teams tended to play better. And I don't know if there was a correlation there or not, but I think there probably was. Uh, I think he's right. I think you've got it there. Somebody has to, to step up and not worry about feelings all the time and worry about getting to the end goal. Now, is there a fine line of that? Sure. Because I saw a whole bunch of growing up a bunch of like, you know, high school basketball coaches who tried to emulate Bob Knight and thought if they just yelled at all their kids fast enough or, or loud enough, I mean, that they would somehow all become uh, state championship caliber players. And that just wasn't the case. Um, that has more to do with, I think, you know, laziness and uh, just being a poor coach than anything else. But it, I, I, I agree with, with the sentiment that, yeah, I, I agree with what Jordan is saying that it's sometimes somebody's got to step up and give people that figurative kick in the butt. Steven, you played basketball for much of your life. What have you thought? Yeah, I think when you're a leader, your job isn't to be nice. Your job is to get the job done, and that's by doing it in any way possible. And that means sometimes you have to be the bad guy and tell people what they need to hear and not always what they want to hear. If To the point, yeah, if he was always telling guys what they wanted to hear, he wouldn't have six rings, and we wouldn't be watching a 10-part documentary about him right now. And you saw how serious he was about that because he got emotional talking about something that hasn't happened in 20 years. So, no, I I don't. I didn't. I don't look at what anything Jordan did was bullying. He was. He told guys what they needed to hear, whether they wanted to hear it or not. And I do think the idea that like this is somehow um, unfair to Jerry Krause because Jerry Krause unfortunately has passed away. You don't all of a sudden like somebody just because they're dead. Yeah. So like, I mean, they're putting plenty of Jerry Krause in there, and Jerry Krause made great moves, made the Scottie Pippen move, made the Dennis Rodman move. Brought in Steve Kerr. I mean, he built this team around Jordan, but he also broke it up prematurely and also seemed to have a need to, you know, want credit for things and go about some things in the wrong way. So, like, you know, it's all out there. I'm very surprised at any sort of negative backlash to Jordan on this because I think I've said this before in this podcast. My sister used to work in politics. She worked on campaigns. And at some point she was like, I'm going to get out of this. Because, like, everybody is a jerk. And it's like, it's not coincidental. It's practically a prerequisite. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people, but it's that you must behave a certain way to succeed in certain areas of life. So if you, if you are looking for nice people, I would I implore you, don't look for them among the greatest athletes of all time. Because I don't think you're going to find a lot of nice people there. Number seven. This, this is, is an underrated quality. Sorry, I had to sneak that in. No, oh, nice. Niceness is underrated or overrated? No, no, no. Ruth, ruthlessness is oh. underrated. And, and I, I also, think if you go go find the person who's succeeding in any field, you'll probably find the most ruthless person. Yeah, they're not timid people. And I also think niceness is overrated it at is. times. So, and as, and I and I live that every day. Um, from. <laughs> From the 419, question number seven. This is going to lead us into about a 15-minute sort of coronavirus discussion. You guys know I've been kind of loath to, like, go down that road, but we haven't done it in a while. I think these are good, well, well-framed well questions from the texters who can lead us to a place where we can have something beyond mindless speculation about this stuff. 
from the 419, I'd like to hear you talk about how you would cover Ohio State versus Iowa or Penn State or whomever when you are the only people watching in the horseshoe, meaning reporters in there, fans not. Would you want to be on the sidelines, in the press box, at the 50-yard line, uh, at 20 rows up in the stands? Some combination. Would it be better if you had full sideline access like the XFL? How could you enhance our fan experience? Can we include this as a friend of the pod subscriber? Make us love you more from the 419. You're getting your question in. So some of this is like fanciful because, and I, and I told the tech subscribers just the other day, um, we are having a meeting with the, the sports information directors, the national group of them, to talk about some press box um, policies in the age of coronavirus and how we might do things like that. That is something that a few of us from the Football Writers Association are going to meet with them um, next week sometime. They're not just, if this turns out that there are no fans, but there are reporters, they're not just going to let us roam around. But thinking of an ideal world when not people aren't there, Stephen, where did your mind go of how you would want to cover a game in an empty stadium? I would love to be on the sideline and follow a player, Justin, let's just the quarterback around the entire time watching him when he's on the field, seeing how he's interacting with his teammates when he's not on the field, on the sidelines, when he immediately comes off the field, either a touchdown, after either a touchdown drive or driving into the punt or a turnover, how is he, where is he sitting, who is he talking to, who is he interacting with, everything in between. Because it's just an interesting angle that when you're all up in the press box, I mean, you can follow him as much around as you want to, but, you know, there's only so much you can do with some binoculars when you're also paying attention to other things. But I think it would be an interesting thing if you paid attention to a player for an entire game on the side, on the sidelines, you got to kind of be in that atmosphere with them. I think it would make for a great storytelling experience. Nathan, where did your head go on this? I, I definitely thought that a three man staff like ours, somebody has to be as close to the field as they'll let us get in that circumstance. We can already do it with a photographer, but now if you're going to open things up and there's nobody in the in the stands, we might as well try to get somebody down to the field as close as possible. And I'm very excited that Steven is uh, volunteering to be that person because I would rather just sit up in a chair and be Maybe able to, to tweet. And well, I mean, it's nice early in the season, too. But yeah, the more more dry than warm. Uh, the cold is is okay until you get into late November, but uh, um, it's it's those days where it's rainy and windy and wet that I would just assume be upstairs plunking away on my keyboard i i do think the thing i would want the most is to be able to hear what they're saying what they're saying and again if if they let us in there they're not just going to let us roam around and there are rules about being on the sideline but i think i've told this before when you're allowed to go down on the sideline in the last few minutes of a game um, you have to stand between like the 20 yard line or the 25 yard line and the end zone you can't be in the middle of the field you can't be behind the bench where the players are. You have to be like down on the edges where the players are not standing, but you can walk from one side to the other. And while you are walking in front of the TV cameras and behind the bench, they allow you to walk. They just don't let you stop. So most of the time, much of the time at the end of a game, we're still up in the press box writing and we're not down there on the sideline to do that stuff. But the, what, every now and then when I do get down on the sideline at the end of a game like that, and they let you down with five minutes left, I just walk back and forth. So I know I can't stop, but I want to be behind the bench as much as I possibly can. So I can hear what people are saying and I can hear what people are talking about. And so that opportunity to hear that, I think I possibly also would be almost as interested in the opposing sideline 
as I would be on Ohio mm. State's sideline because yeah. I want to hear the other team say, we can't block Zach Harrison. I want to hear them say, we've got to give safety help on Garrett Wilson. I want to hear them say, you know, we've got to keep Justin Fields in the pocket. You can't let him escape. I would want to hear what they're talking about to game plan against Ohio State. But again, we're not going to be able to do that. But the thing, if this happens, and, and I don't know if it will or not, I think it's I think it's possible that it would go this way. No fans, but yes to media or some media. We have to give you the things that you can't see on TV. But that applies all the time. And I've talked about that. We've talked about that. That's why I bring binoculars. That's why I try to watch guys from the press box, what they're doing on the sideline. Because the TV campers, cameras don't capture everything. And maybe you can capture a little tidbit. Nathan, do you have an instinct at all of if they are not allowing fans, would you guess that they do allow reporters or would you guess, no, we will not be there. It would just be players, coaches, and TV. I could see them allowing reporters, but I also think that there will be, just because there's no fans there doesn't mean there aren't other people that they're going to let into there. I mean, will recruiting still be completely shut down or will they still be allowing recruiting visits as long as people sign some kind of waiver and then the recruits have to sit so-and-so feet apart from each other with their families or whatever. And they'll probably, they'll get the prime seating if they allow that to happen. you got other athletic department personnel or other school personnel that may want to sit. I have a feeling that if they allow us, it may be in the end zones or it may be in an upper deck, maybe not all the way down on the field, at which case I guess you could, you could argue what's the point of being out there. Um, but I also think they're going to have to do some kind of overflow, right? Because at, even at Ohio Stadium, which is a pretty big press box, there's just, there isn't that much space when everybody's sending three or four people from each outlet to a game, right? So they're going to have, there's going to have to be some kind of auxiliary situation set up somewhere. You would probably know that better than me. Yeah, we haven't talked about it yet. I could maybe imagine a world. This is pure speculation by me. Maybe they would say one person per outlet. And yeah. I and the, and the thing I wonder about is I don't think we would do in-person interviews. So we'd be doing like Zoom calls after the game where they put Ryan Day on, then they put Justin Fields on. And you could do the Zoom call from the press box or you could do it from your house. You know that you wouldn't have to be there to get the interviews because most of the time when we're there – you know, getting the interviews is the biggest thing. So I think there's a lot of ways this could go. Um, I, I do think it's possible that writers will be there, but I do think also it, it's possible it will be limited just in the name of social distancing. Moving to another coronavirus question. This is number eight out of the 20 uh, on this podcast. From the 937, how do you envision the future of college football fan attendance will be affected by COVID-19? Will this accelerate more commercials, more revenue from TV, more enhanced cinematography, less people at, uh, attending the games, ticket prices up or down? I understand if you don't want to tackle a coronavirus question, question considering the state of the world, but it would be nice to hear three professionals' opinions on that. So we don't have that, but we have the three of us. Nathan, <laughs> as it relates to – and I want to be specific on this because we'll get into some other stuff in the next question. As it relates specifically to in-stadium attendance, sort of long-term, not just while they're saying you can't go, but maybe once it's back open or partially open, do you think this will have a long-term effect on how many people go to games? Well, when you talk about long-term, I'm actually optimistic that once we have a vaccine, now that may be a while away, but once there's a vaccine, I think long-term things probably – more or less return to what we had before. 
Um, I don't know that it's going to change behavior that much. Um, it, it'll be fresh in people's minds as far as the, the, the possibility of a pandemic. But I also think that once people feel like they have the immunity and once there's the vaccine, I, I don't know that there really is necessarily going to be a danger of, 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 of going back to the previous normal. Um, it's probably going to, it'll affect like, sanitation things, I suppose, just personal hygiene and things like that. But um, in the short term, I, I think it is going to be interesting. I think if, if they only allow, you know, a quarter capacity or whatever, and people have to be spread out, I think that's probably going to, you know, tickets will be at a, a premium, right? I mean, they'll be, it'll be secondary market, but I, I imagine those, those will go pretty high because not everybody's going to be able to go to games the way they used to. Um, so that, that's one way I think it could directly affect fans as early as 2020. If they start allowing a, a smaller number of fans into the stadium, secondary markets probably going to push that up, even though there's going to be, you would think people who are skeptical about going in the first place and won't want to, don't care that they can't buy tickets. There's also, as we've seen, a pretty big group of people out there that are, are ready to just get right back into it. Steven. I think one of the things I thought about when I was reading this question is how does this impact, you know, all the stuff that goes on before a game, you know, all the tailgating, you know, skull session, all that stuff that happens. And if you're already limiting the amount of fans who you are going to let in until there's some type of vaccine that's available to people, you know, are you also going to limit, you know, you know, maybe fans are not allowed to show up until 20 minutes or 30 minutes before game time, because you don't want a large number of people just hanging out around, around Ohio stadium doing the usual stuff that happens before an Ohio state game, because there's you know, in the name of social distancing. So yeah, you can limit the people inside, but I'm interested to see how it limits the two and a half hours before a game when there's just as much going on as there is during the two and a half hours that we're all watching a football game. Yeah. And, and I mean, the tailgating is such an important part of college atmosphere and mm-hmm. it is at a lot of NFL games too, but like if you're going to have to have the police going around telling everybody to get away from each other, I mean, it's, you, you can't really do it. So I do think there are potential long-term effects, but I, I, I guess it could go both ways. Maybe it's like we're all stuck in our houses or we're going to appreciate more the opportunity to be with other people. And so in the past where maybe you said, well, you know what? My couch is just as good as the stadium. I'll stay home. Does this make you realize, you know what? It is better to be out with other people. I want to go now that it's safe again. I want to be there out in the world. Or does it get you more accustomed to this? Like this is pretty good. I can handle staying at home. And before the bleachers are cold and hard. The ticket is expensive. Parking is a pain. The weather in October and November might be bad. And now if you add in some risk, right, that maybe maybe we're not at the point where everything's shut down, but there is still some risk associated with being out in the world. Would one more risk be like, well, maybe I was going to go to the Rutgers game, but now if I have a slim, slim chance of catching coronavirus, the heck with it, I'm not going. I think maybe my guess would be it would – it would take us more toward a world where you really got to make it worth it for people to go. So they're already enhancing stuff. They're playing up the Wi-Fi capabilities that they redid at Ohio Stadium. Maybe they do even more of when you're at the stadium, you can do stuff on your phone that's stadium exclusive. That gives you a reason to come. Maybe they go away from bleacher seating and go to individual seats that are more comfortable, that are spread out more. It reduces the capacity. It makes things, you know, more exclusive, but it just makes it a better environment a little bit. And maybe we end the million-dollar payoff sure-win games because nobody wants to go to them. Nobody wants to go to Ohio State Bowling Green. 
So in a world where being out in the world comes with a little bit of risk, even maybe we kind of defeated this most of the way, maybe we don't, maybe we don't see those games anymore because why are we paying this big price for a team to come get their butt kicked when it's a game that nobody really wants to see in a world now, if you want people to come out, you really got to give them a reason to come out. So I do think it could make everything be a little more of a premium experience, whether that's the movies, whether that's a play, whether that's a concert, whether that's a sporting event where it really has to be worth it to go do something and to go sit on a metal bleacher to watch Bowling Green might not be it. So I think there may be, could be a long-term effect that way. Next and final COVID question from the 419. What, if any, long-term changes and impacts do you see this virus and current hiatus causing for college football? I don't mean 2020, but long-term. And, and this means we're going beyond attendance now. Will there be more realignment? A push for a more centralized governing body? More regional scheduling and recruiting? I don't know what I think will happen, but I do wonder if college football um, should have a true governing body. From the 419, Stephen, the other aspects of this. What do you think this could lead some long-term effects? I don't know if recruiting is ever going to change. That's just going to be what it is. But I do think that maybe for the next four or five years until, you know, things are really, really comfortable, maybe you don't see an Ohio State-Oregon game where a team has to go across the country for two straight years to play another team. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe those neutral site games like Ohio State played TCU and Dallas a couple of years ago maybe that game doesn't happen anymore for a while where it is basically a one team is at home and one team is the away team and that's what it is until you get the bowl season the bowl games are never going but maybe it's just maybe those types of games where it's not it's it's a money grab but in, this, in the name of you know trying to you know limit this from ever happening again you cut those out for a couple of years maybe that's the plan here and the only neutral site games are bowl games I think the most interesting part of this is the idea of a true college football commissioner. And I think it might get hairy here coming up because it feels like people are trying to put things on the conferences. And this is a national event, but actually it's a very regional event. And so there has always been, I think, skepticism and worry and fear of the SEC from the rest of college football, how they do things whether that's in recruiting, whether it's the eight-game conference schedule, whatever. If we enter a world, and it just feels like we might be in a situation where it's possible, I think, that the SEC is ready to go and other conferences and other teams in other parts of the country are holding back a little bit. And if we have a world where college football partially starts, where some conferences go and some conferences wait, where maybe within a conference – some teams are ready and some teams are not. I think the effect of that could be we need a commissioner because in the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball, nobody is saying, well, what if, what if the, the Celtics are ready to play but the Lakers aren't? Would we have an NBA season? Because that's bonkers. You're one thing. I think they need not the president of the NCAA. The NCAA does not control the college football playoff. It's a separate body. The NCAA does not do football's championship. It would be very easy to take something that would form out of that playoff group and from that group say, not only are you now in charge of the postseason, 
You are in charge of this sport. So I think that is very possible that will happen. And I think it's very possible it leads to a split that we see FBS as a 130-team division split power conference and the MAC and everybody else does their own thing, separate commissioner, separate governing body. I just think this is proving how nuts it is that this is such a complicated, high money, important outlet for the world, not for the world, for, for this country. People care about this so much and there's nobody in charge of it. It's ridiculous. And I think that will be an outcome of this. Nathan. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but I was actually going to look at it from the opposite side. I think I'm skeptical that it will happen only because of what we just saw with the name, image, and likeness. The NCAA and its members are pretty adamant that they don't want a governing body, or not a governing body, but they don't want a collective body of the student-athletes. And I think once you start having this collection at, of, of the conferences in a more focused way to maximize profits, to, ma- to do all that at the same time that you're, you're pushing it back at the student athlete level. I think that's going to cause problems. I think that's something that they're trying to avoid. They're trying to avoid the appearance of that obvious conflict of interest or that obvious hypocrisy. So I'm, I don't know if I believe that it, it's coming. And if it does come, I think you're going to, it's going to be much harder for them to, to put up legal challenges to letting the student athletes do the same thing for their own benefit. I wouldn't say though, to me, the the reasoning behind having a college football commissioner wouldn't be maximizing profits. It would just be uniform rules. And I could see what I could see happening is the PAC 12, the big 12, the ACC and the big 10. If the sec starts acting in its own interest as a result of this saying like, Mm -hmm. we're not doing this anymore. So we want to have uniform scheduling. We want to have uniform recruiting rules. We want to have things where everybody is playing by the same guidelines, and we need someone to administer that. The TV contracts and all that other stuff, that a lot of that has already worked out. But I think you have to have rules and guidelines and mission statements that govern the playing of this game that still leaves some local conference, regional autonomy to some degree, but that for big major decisions, you're not, you know, you're not having one team play this schedule and one team play the other schedule. I think if you had that right now, there would be a lot more cohesion in trying to figure out what's going to happen. So I think the only way it happens is if the other four conferences gang up against the SEC and say, we demand this. And then it's like, or we're doing it. We're forming a college football collective, the SEC, you can either join us and go by the rules that we're going to form and go by the commissioner that we're going to hire, or you can do your own thing, but like then you can't be in our championship, whatever. So I don't know. I just think maybe it could come to a head. All right. um, Let's take a break. I like how it's going. Nathan, you like how this is going so far? I do. Yeah. I think we, I think we've got a good rhythm going. Let's keep it going into the, let's keep the momentum building. Steven, do you feel like this is effectively shutting me up enough? It is. Have we gone over five minutes and 30 seconds yet on any of these? I don't think we have, no. I mean, I'm not counting the question asking, so you know, I, yeah. that gives me a chance to ask the question extra long. But uh, no, we have, not, we have definitely not hit six minutes on any answer, so I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm proud of what we're doing so far. All right, we will come back. Those are nine questions down, 11 questions to go. We'll take a break on Buckeye Talk. We'll do the fast food bracket, the round of 32 after this. 
really, really a lot more good questions ahead. Again, if you want to be able to interact and help create the podcast, you're a producer on this podcast. When you ask great questions like this, come join us. Friend of the pod, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. Send a text. Try it. Just see what happens when you send the text. And then after you send the text, if, you, if you're like, eh, because it doesn't instantaneously sign you up. You still got to do another step. But just send the text and see what comes back in your phone. Send it to 614-350-3315. And we will be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back with question number 10. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Doug Maurice. These great questions from our texters. Which team in the Big Ten West will make the Big Ten title game the most over the next five years? And how many times will the Big Ten West champion make the playoffs? And which team will that be if they make it at all? So most Big Ten West titles, and then will any of those teams make the playoff, Stephen, in the next five years? (sighs) As much as we ranted about Wisconsin out of the Big Ten West, but they're in the Big Ten West, which is clearly the, the, the lesser of the two divisions in the Big Ten, and they're very good at what they do. And so because of that, they have to be the answer here. I wanted to go with Nebraska, but they didn't show anything last year that would hint that they were headed in the right direction. In fact, they took some steps backward. So it has to be Wisconsin just because – yeah, they, they do this one thing, but they do it well enough that it's going to get them to enough Big Ten championship games over the next 10 years. Nathan, do you agree? Yeah, Wisconsin was my choice, too. I just, you know, Minnesota was sort of fake good last year. Um, not nearly as, as – never deserved to really be ranked as high as they were by a lot of people. And I think they still have a lot to prove in terms of, of doing this consistently. And, you know, even just looking at where these teams are for 2021 recruiting right now, Wisconsin's average star rating is still higher than Minnesota, even though Minnesota has piled up a bunch of three-star recruits and kind of pushed itself up um, higher in these rankings for, for 2021. So I'm still just skeptical of the of Minnesota breaking through long-term. And I think – and so I think Wisconsin and, no, I don't think they make the playoff. And in, in, if, if, in a four-game – a four-team scenario, I don't think Wisconsin makes the playoff. I said – Minnesota. And it goes back to what I've said many times. I still feel like Minnesota being in a city is a bit of a sleeping giant in the West in particular. When you look at where the other teams in the Big Ten West are located, and if you assume that they are recruiting um, among a similar set of players. Now, you know, Madison's a good city. Um, you know, I mean, Iowa City and, and, and Lincoln, I mean, they're, they're real cities. But Minneapolis is, you know, like a cut below Chicago, right? And so I think it's possible maybe in the name, image, and likeness era that that could give Minnesota a little bit of an edge. And this was actually affected by my conversation with Lance Leipold, who, again, the Buffalo coach who will be our guest for the Thursday pod this week. He was talking about when he left Wisconsin Whitewater and was looking to sort of like rebuild a program, and that's why he made the jump, and he's done that at Buffalo. He's now in year six at Buffalo. And when P.J. Fleck went to Minnesota, I thought probably that was a short time stop, that that was going to be his in-between spot before he tried to jump to, you know, whatever, USC, Florida State. I don't know what jobs he's gone after. But he's also building something there. 
And last year, they broke through to some degree. They're different than Wisconsin. You look at Tyler Johnson, what he did. He was a popular sleeper pick in the NFL draft this year, talking about receivers. Rashad Bateman is the best receiver in the Big Ten right now. He might be a first-round draft pick next year. Tanner Morgan played pretty well. If they can be an option in that division for, okay, do you want to play in this area of the country but not have it be with 350-pound linemen where we're going to run the ball 35 times a game? Do you want to be in a city where there's some stuff going on? Minneapolis is pretty cool. P.J. Fleck is a high-energy guy. I could see guys wanting to go play for him. And I maybe could see him sticking there to see, can I make us the best team in the West? Wisconsin is Wisconsin, as we've said a million times. I think it's possible. I think maybe last year was the beginning, tiny tip of that iceberg for Minnesota. And I think it may continue over the next five years. And so if in the next five years you're telling me Minnesota made the the Big Ten championship game three times in the next five years, I would not be surprised. Does any of that make sense to anyone? It makes sense, but to the point of maybe this is an in-between job, everyone's building something until one of those jobs opens up. And that's still on the table for him. While with Wisconsin, I don't know if that's the same thing, but also another head coach comes in there, they're probably still going to be Wisconsin. Do you buy any of what I'm selling, Nathan? Yeah, what you're saying is completely plausible. I'm just voting against it. I've heard that. You sound like my wife. Um, okay. So, so like, I just, I just think it's possible, but no, they're not. Sh- I, I, tell me when the big 10 West is going to win a big 10 championship. They're zero and six so yeah, far. That's a better they've, question. They've been outscored 219 to 110 and four of the six games were actually close, but like close, but they weren't good enough to get over the top. So you tell me when the big 10 West is going to beat the big 10 East. And actually, we have some stuff coming up on that idea with some more questions. So hang on to that thought about Big Ten West versus Big Ten East. Question number 11 from the 614. If you had to cover a different sport besides college football, what sport would you choose and why? Steven? I would cover the NBA. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, and the listeners know that at this point. I just think there's a lot more interesting narratives that can be had when it's an 82-game schedule Plus, you know, you got to win 16 playoff games to win an NBA championship. It's a lot of things that maybe with football, because every game is extremely important, especially at Ohio State where one loss and now it's, is this team still going to make the college football playoff in a season where it's, you know, longer and game 52 doesn't mean the same for what it does for the Lakers as it would for the Cavs right now. I just think there's a lot more interesting storylines. And plus, I just, you know, basketball is a, a interesting sport to cover. Plus, I like basketball, so there. Of course we knew Steven would say that. You really like <laughs> basketballs in your blood, right? It I mean, is. you played it your whole life. It is. It's, 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 one, it's also it's less people, which is – and I think some people would say it's less people, so there's less things to talk about. No, you can actually just get more in-depth with those people because even in football, you know, yeah, there's 85 scholarships players, but let's be honest here. We're focused – last year we're focused on, for the most part, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Jeff Okuda, and Chase Young. Nathan, is your answer baseball? My answer is baseball, but I say it with reservations now knowing what I know about what it takes to cover baseball, and you know this firsthand, that it is, it's, a, it's a grind unlike – I mean, we think of college football season being kind of a grind for us. It's you know, twice as long for baseball. 
It's a it's a day to day thing. The travel is insane. The the time that you spend just standing in a locker room or a clubhouse waiting to talk to somebody who never shows up, um, that becomes like what like five percent of the time you spend on the beat in a season. It's just it's it's a it's a long mental drag for a season. And if you cover a bad team, then it, it's magnified even more. So um, having said all that, I would probably still like that chance at least some point in my career, but I'm actually starting to think that college football is in a lot of ways, the best of, of all the world covering a team like Ohio state, right? You get to cover the very, very, very top of college football in a city like Columbus and you get to cover a sport like football, but you have the access isn't as good as it is in the NFL where there's more like ma- more mandatory access, but also the players and the coaches, I think are a little bit more relatable. So, um, it's college football is growing on me a little bit, but, but baseball always has kind of pulls on my heartstrings. You mean you can't relate to the guys making tens of millions of dollars? I, I think you can. I mean, I've, I mean, I, I have before I've, I've had, I've been in major league clubhouses. You can talk to those guys. It's mm. not like they're, um, they, they're, they're not, automatically like brushing you off there's there's guys who are stars who are easy relatable and guys who are scrubs who won't give you the time of day I think that's probably true at all levels of sport it's just in in college I think they are still college kids they're just around campus they're not often mansions for whatever when they're not playing and when they're not with the team I it, it is as human as as just people it, there's a it's a little bit easier to I think have that connection so again, you guys know I, I I have done this. I covered Major League Baseball for four years. Um, I did, you know, I, I sort of have covered. Well, I've covered the NBA as a beat writer, not a traveling beat writer, but I, I did it in Chicago. I also did it in Philadelphia a little bit. Um, it's a freaking grind, bro. Ugh. Like I never thought I wanted to cover football because it was never football was not my favorite sport, but the lifestyle of covering football uh, as a job is so much better because you aren't constantly at games. When I was covering baseball, I mean, like, the whole summer, I was gone, like, every day. They play six or seven times a week. It's insane. So the lifestyle as a job, and that's not it's not our favorite sport. It's what sport do you want to cover. Football, as a dad, as a husband, is by far and away better to do. But I also like it better as a writer, because the thing I think the hardest thing, one of the hardest things to do, I think, as a sports writer – is to cover a game like where your team that you cover lost, but it didn't really matter. And it's like, they lost. Well, who cares? You're, a good baseball team loses 62 times a year. You know, oh, they lost. Well, who cares? A good basketball team loses 22 times a year. I like the rhythm in football of build up, build up, build up, storyline, feature, analysis. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Boom, it's game day, and it is super important. And never do you say, eh, they lost, but it doesn't matter. Every game matters a lot. And the drudgery at times of like, hey, what'd you do today? I said, I went to a baseball game. What happened? It was five to three. I don't know. I can't remember if the team I cover won or lost because it doesn't matter because it's one of 162. I much prefer football. So if I wasn't covering football, I would cover the Olympic sports beats. Because I like those weird little things. People have weird little stories. And talk about buildup. All you do is write feature stories for three years and 11 months, and then you get to go, you know, to the frickin' Olympics. Although there's only like two jobs like that left in the world. So I will say from a lifestyle, being a sports writer, football is awesome. Number 12 from the 513. 
This says, they say this is a question specifically for Doug, but it's not. Everybody gets to do this. How much does it frustrate you when national writers say random things just to get a word count? I read in an Ohio State preview that Tough Borland is a big hitter who can play inside and outside and is the fourth best player on the defense. Um, and there have other examples of like national previews that are wrong about Ohio State. Don't talk about stuff. If you have no idea what you're talking about, okay, that's all. That's my Doug rant. So the question is about like, when you read stuff from a national perspective, that's wrong about your team. And my answer is this. If you care about your team, don't read national stuff. Like if you want to read like Bruce Feldman, great. If you want to listen to like Joel Klatt, great. Don't read random national stuff about your team because the person writing it has no idea what they're talking about. Or the only reason that they have anything any idea what they're talking about is because they read our stories. So don't read it. I always used to make fun with my friends of like national sports radio. Listening to national, why anybody, now Colin Cowherd's good. If you're really the best of the best, weekend, weekend national sports radio. When somebody's hosting and they're like, uh, hey, call in with anything. And someone says, hey, you know, I'm wondering about the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you think they should platoon in right field? or uh, just give the job to Tyler O'Neill full-time or whatever. And like the host, you know, he has no idea who you're talking about. And so his answer is, well, I'll tell you what, St. Louis Cardinals, that is a passionate baseball city. The thing you know, people in St. Louis, I don't even care who's playing right field. Platoon, <laughs> bring a guy up from the minors. It doesn't matter. When he gets out there and takes the field, he's going to look in the stands and see that Cardinal red and know how important baseball is in St. Louis. And it's like, yeah, I know who's going to play right field. The person asking the question knows a thousand times more than the person trying to answer it because they can't be an expert on everything in sports. So I hate surface level national sports writing and sports talk. So my only advice is it's not really their fault that they think that about tough Borland, but my goodness, don't read it. Steven. I agree with everything you just said. You can't take it. You can't take it for what it is. They don't know. They don't know who Tom Borland is. They know who just, who the quarterback is and they know who the coach is for the most part. And that's it. But you can't take it for anything more than surface level, you know, opinions. And it's the same thing. The guy at the combine who asked Jeff Okuda about sloppy play that yeah. guy has no idea what no. he's talking about. Do not ever read anything he writes. I'm not trying to take, take stuff away from people, but in the world, of, in the modern world, the internet world, where you can go find the local writer for anything you actually care about, why you would read an uninformed national take when it's like, well, if I want to know who should play right field for the St. Louis Cardinals – I'm just going to go to the St. Louis Dispatch website and read it and maybe pay two bucks to subscribe per month or whatever. It's worth it because they actually know what they're talking about. Nathan, I use that example for you. Tyler O'Neill, he's the guy, right? Is he a right fielder? Um, he's, he's in the mix. He's on my fantasy team. That's why I used him. I couldn't oh. remember what his first name was, though. It might be Toby. Toby O'Neill, I think it is. What do you think about this, Nathan? It's not. <laughs> it's not Toby's, my, Toby's my dog's name. You seriously Tyler named your – you named your dog after a Clemson safety. I cannot believe that. I named my His dog name after is not Toby though. <laughs> we named our we named our dog after Toby Ziegler. Oh, for real? Does he? Because is oh, he wow. a basset hound? No, that would have been even better. Yeah, 
Look at he's you like a, West Wing. He's like a uh, poodle, golden lab, yellow lab kind of something. We're not even 100% sure. Yeah. Um, no, but what you guys said was 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 correct. Um, you know, uh, don't if if you if you're just follow, it it does infuriate me. I see you see it on Facebook all the time. People will post a story about Ohio State sports, or in in my case, the people I used to be friends with, Purdue sports, and it'll be from like a national account. And I'll be thinking, why didn't you post the local story that was up six hours earlier about the same thing? So, um, dude, just take the you know find your local sources, cut out the middleman. And I do think this has happened to me sometimes every now and then, and this doesn't happen as much anymore, but my wife, my wife would like drive my children to school in the morning and she listens to soccer mom, local Columbus radio. And she would be like, I'm just asking, I just want to make sure that you know this, but on the radio on soccer mom radio in between playing, you know, Michael Buble songs, they said this thing about Ohio state football. And I would be like, yeah, I know. (laughs) <laughs> they were reading the aggregation of the thing that I wrote that is where that came from. And so now it's on Soccer Mom Radio. So, like, I know. So, also, don't read national sports and don't get your sports information in between Taylor Swift songs. Um, not that there's anything wrong with Taylor Swift, but you don't come to Buckeye Talk to hear me sing, ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you mm-mm, made because I suck at not, it. Let's not do that. Let's so, not do that. So don't, I like that. It's, a, it's spooky though, right? It's supposed to sound spooky. I know it's like I, two years old. I, I mean, I, like I don't it. listen to Taylor Swift, so I don't. I don't know. I don't like nobody because nobody. Yeah, I, I, she's good, but you don't want to hear me sing it, so don't listen to their sports information. All right, number thirteen, philosophical question. A couple of these philosophical questions. Three three zero. Do you think the internet is bringing out the best in us or the worst in us in life? Nathan. I think the internet is amazing. I think social media is bringing out the worst in us. And those are two different questions. I would still say the balance of the internet is positive. The, the, just the, the freedom of communication, the freedom of information. I mean, you can just access anything you want. You can access it in just in an instant. And I think that is that at the end of the day is more good than bad. I think it's educating people and allowing people to connect in important ways. And that's more good than bad. I think social media is far and away more bad than good. Steven, you're a youth. What do you think of the internet? I think the internet is bringing out the worst in people. I think a lot of times people just, you know, are looking for a reason to tell a joke or try to be funny with things that aren't funny. Steven, and we're not specifically talking about my Twitter account. <laughs> the internet in general. <laughs> so as I was saying, yeah, I do say I do I do think the internet is bringing out the worst in people. Like people like to jump on stuff. I think a lot with a lot of things you're allowed to say and do things without actually having to take responsibility at times because you don't always have to put your name on it. When it comes to the internet, you can hide behind an egg photo or a name that's not really your name and kind of you know, say ignorant things and do ignorant things on the internet without consequence. So I do think it brings out the bad side of people because there's no, you don't necessarily have to answer for it all the time. It's interesting how you two couch that question. And I think it is a reflective of the generations that you're part of. Nathan, you made a distinction between social media and the internet. And Stephen, you kind of 
lumped you just mm. you were describing actually social media with what you were talking about with the internet yeah. and i think like if you asked my children who are closer to age and steven means than to me they i mean of course they're closer to steven but they're closer to steven than steven is to me that of a certain age that is the internet right i mean like steve like when you think of the internet you think of being on instagram or tiktok or Twitter or whatever is and connecting with people, you don't necessarily think of I'm going to this website because you're using apps and you're using direct things and you're using that as your main source of the internet. And so that that's how you then perceive it. Yeah, agree. Like the only time I'm really on my computer is for work stuff. Anything else, you can do it from your phone, which isn't that, which is Twitter, Instagram and TikTok and all these different social media outlets. So that's, that is what the internet is at this point. It's, connect it's ways to communicate outside of just calling somebody so i would say um i heard someone else talk about this and i think i agree with it i think in this era right in the in the in the in a pandemic the internet is great in that it is very easy to access updated information for a thing that is changing constantly and if we were in some kind of world where you're waiting for the six o'clock news or for the newspaper in the morning to figure out what the heck is going on with the world, it might change three times in that 24 hour cycle. So I think it has been as good lately as it's been in my lifetime in terms of being a place where there is conversation, but if you, and it's on you to follow the right people and to read the right things. But I, I think it's been very good at this time. And by the way, like, you know, imagine all this stuff if there wasn't a way to stay connected through the internet and through social media. The thing that I, I wanted to say about this that drives me nuts is in terms of bringing out the worst in people, my least favorite thing on Twitter, and I never do it, and I feel like a lot of people do it a lot, is somebody will tweet something stupid at you and people quote tweet it and say, this is stupid. But in doing that, they amplify the stupidity mm-hmm. and get it out to the world. Yeah. And the fact that people don't just ignore stuff, I don't understand that usage of the internet. And that frustrates me a lot because you saying this is stupid, but putting the message out is counterproductive. It's giving that person what they want. Nathan, your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. Um, and it, it just the anonymity of it um, also it frustrates me, you know, especially in a, in a profession where, you know, we put our name on everything we do and then um, cowards can come in with with, with, uh, anonymous, with anonymity and, and say stuff. And, and it's just it, – it's, it's a headache that I'd, I'd rather go without. But it's also – there's also plenty of legitimate people who want to be involved in the conversation and, and receive, you know, what we're – what we're writing about and reporting on. So it's just one of those headaches you have to put up with in the modern world. And I do, I, and I would just, I, w- I would personally would encourage everybody to make sure you under, to differentiate between the internet and social media. And it's interesting. I mean, we had this call the other day with Ryan Day and Chris Holtman and the sports psychologist at Ohio State. Um, and, and what Ryan Day and Chris Holtman both said, like, what is it that adds so much pressure to college athletes these days is it what, what is it about the world that maybe they are under more stress and they both said social media that like that's the number one thing and like i get that but that also frustrates me because the bottom line is even as a young person you do have control over that and so you don't have to read it and if you are only using the unbelievable power of the internet to read every negative thing that somebody says about you 
you are you are not using it for what it should be used for. That's an old man take on computers. Um, from the 419, getting back to football. I like the, the framing of this question. Every holiday, my buddies and I play this game called After Hours. We have a deck of cards that are designed to ask questions to spur discourse. One of our favorite questions is this. I, of all the things in the world, like this is your favorite question for this game. I, I love the question. If you were appointed to a task force centered around bringing the Rutgers football team to new heights, what concrete actions would you try to get the program to take? Stephen Means, you are the new guru of Rutgers football. How do you lift up that program? Well, first, I would, try, I would get a petition going to get us out of the Big Ten. But in seriously, to be serious, <laughs> I would <laughs> – no, I don't know how not well, Why is that, that not is. serious? That yeah, could I think be that might be. I think that is what it is. I think I, to the point – yeah, I think the first thing I would do is try to get us out of the Big Ten because we're not going to have any success here. And so I would plead with everybody to please let us out of this because this is not helping anybody. It's hurting everybody. But also there is a, a, a certain amount of talent in that New Jersey area. And I would make it a point that that's the first thing we need to do is make sure none of that talent is going anywhere else. Nathan, fix Rutgers. Well, I think they maybe have already done that by getting Shiano and getting a coach who can get this done. I mean, I firmly believe that every Power 5 school – Nobody is so bad that you shouldn't be in bowl contention annually. Now, that won't happen. There's obviously teams that, that will have bigger dips and, and longer dips and all that. But there's no school for whom that is out of reach. And right now, that is new heights for Rutgers. If they were getting back to a situation where they were winning six games a year annually for like a five-year run, that would be considered a big jump over where they're at right now, which is kind of the laughing stock of Power 5 and almost all of, of FCS, right, or FBS. So that's I think they already kind of did the first thing I think you have to do. You can't keep playing around and trying to do this on the cheap and trying to be cute with it. You have to commit to football. You have to um, – you have to financially commit to having a big 10 football team. You can't go in and say, well, we're going to try to do, um, we're going to try to support our team at a Mac level or whatever, or a, a sub big 10 level and somehow compete in the big 10, especially in the East. You're just going to get the crap beat out of you. Um, it's never going to work. You've got to at least put yourself in position to, to jump up and, and take a legitimate shot at some of these higher teams. You're not going to beat Ohio state and Penn state and Michigan very often, but you've at least got to put yourself in a position where it's not a joke that you're on the field with them, and now you've got a chance to beat that next level of team, and now you're in bowl contention, and now you can start building something. So I think the first thing was getting a coach like Shiano and putting some money behind it, not just in him, but in facilities, and I think they're starting to do that. Okay, so what I would do is I would take the Scarlet Knight, right? There's the guy in the Scarlet Knight outfit. I think he rides a horse. Does he ride a horse? We were at Rutgers. He rode a horse. Doesn't he ride a horse? I believe so, yes. He rides yeah. a horse, and I would I would wrap him in uh, like a cape that says 1869, because that's the year, right, that Rutgers played in the first college football game. And I would invite uh, everybody who cares about Rutgers to the stadium. And I would have the Rutgers Red Scarlet Knight ride out to the 50-yard line on his horse, wrapped in this 1869 cape. And then I would have this thing crawl out of the end zone. It would be like this kind of like lizard frog monster looking thing. And I would have this thing come out to midfield and murder the Scarlet Knight. 
I would rip off his arms. I would, I would swirl him around. Um, I would, would kill him in the most gruesome way possible. And I would say, Rutgers is dead. This is the birth of the New Jersey State Swamp Monsters. And that is who you are. I don't care if you played football in 1869. I don't care that you're named for some revolutionary war guy. You are NJ State. And come up with whatever color scheme is the coolest color scheme that people want to wear. Spend money to have a consultant figure that out. And I would then go out and give an NJ State Swamp Monster t-shirt in black and teal or whatever it is to every citizen of New Jersey. And I would say, we are NJ State. We want you to be part of us. This is part of you. There's Penn State. There's Ohio State. There's Michigan and Michigan State. And now there is NJ State. And we are taking a stand. We're not New York. We are not New York's football team. The hell with New York. We're New Jersey. And we're NJ State. And if you rebranded that in a way that would make people in New Jersey proud to support that team, that would make young New Jersey athletes want to play for that team, and that would make people feel connected to something other than a school named Rutgers, whose pitch is we played a fake football game 150 years ago, you might actually get people to care. Facilities matter. Coaching matters. They must rebrand. And when that swamp monster murdered that Scarlet Knight, people would be paying attention to NJ State football. You are stunned into silence by my great idea. No, I just knew that's where this was headed. The moment you had him ride out to the 50-yard line that you were going to kill him. You knew he was dead? Yeah. yeah, I knew you were going to kill him. I mean, I don't want to really kill him. I mean, it's like I'm not actually killing an actual person, but it's just it's, it's for the show. The, yeah, the idea of the idea. I knew that it was going to end gruesomely as soon as you had him right out there in front of everybody. All right. I he hope that a public execution. Yeah, public execution. I hope that guy from the 419 liked that answer. I like the question. All right. From the 217, in this same vein, we're getting a little rearrangey Rutgers kicking people out heavy, but I like it. From the 217, the Big Ten East is much stronger than the West. Is it a problem that the East Division is stronger than the West? If it is a problem, how would you rearrange the divisions? We love rearranging the divisions. Again, since they gave up on legends and leaders and went to East and West, the East is 6-0 and in the Big Ten Championship, outscored 219 to 110. That's influenced by Ohio State winning the first one in 14, 59 to nothing against Wisconsin. But, Stephen, is it a problem that there's an imbalance and should it be rearranged? I do think so. I would trade Penn State for, let's just say, for the sake of it, Northwestern or Illinois. Basically, I'm going to put Penn State in the West because let's just be honest here. Those are the three best teams in the Big Ten. Big Ten. Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Those, are, those should be the best teams in the Big Ten. And they're all in the same division and constantly have to play each other, which for the most, it's probably going to, it's hurting somebody's chances. And so in a situation where Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other to end the season anyway, how about we take Penn State and put them on the other side? One, that should help along, it, 
it probably changes our view on which Big Ten West team is going to go to the Big Ten championship game every, the most of the next decade because Penn State's obviously going to throw themselves in there and Wisconsin will get in there as well. But at least there's two teams now who are going to be fighting for that spot for the majority of the decade. But also, you know, now there is some sense of the best two teams in the Big Ten every year are playing at each other and not Ohio State and Penn State are playing in week eight and one is kicking the other one out of the Big Ten championship game every year. Nathan, are you rearranging? I, I just don't know how you do it if you're going to keep East and West. If 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 the if the the the, the, the East West thing that's happening right now, I don't know that I I mean, yeah, it, it's it doesn't look good, but I don't know what to do about it because the only thing that really makes sense is taking I I, I not to, to 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 throw Steven under the bus, but like if you're taking Penn State, which is like the third eastmost school and putting them in the West, mm-hmm. and then taking someone in Illinois and putting them in the East, I just why even call it East and West anymore? So if you're going to do that, then you need to go back to leaders and legends and just get rid of the geography. If you're going to keep the geography, I don't think there's a solution. Swapping Purdue and and Indiana doesn't do anything. And I think if you try to take one of those Michigan schools and put them in the West, then you're taking away an annual matchup potentially with between either Michigan and Michigan State. And you're not getting rid of the Michigan-Ohio game, obviously, or Ohio State game. So I don't know how to – I don't know how to solve this by just – flipping a couple teams i think the answer if you're gonna if they're really concerned about this the answer is you got to blow up the geography so i don't yeah i don't care about east west in a world where like these kids are getting on private planes to go to the game should they be concerned is it a concern or not really i don't know what it's really i mean the teams that are concerned about it are indiana maryland and no but the uh, idea that the east is so much better the east is better and that's not going to change the fact that there is imbalance you have two divisions and really one division is always going to be better than the other division at least the top of it is is that in itself an issue i don't know what that's necessarily costing the big 10 right now i i think i agree with that i used to think it was an issue and i have asked jim delaney questions about this i think more than once at the big 10 media days in the end, I think the idea of like, well, we have one good division. All the teams in that division play each other. So the best one's going to emerge. And then, all right, they'll play the team from the West. But honestly, we're not pretending that the championship game is the two best teams. Nobody says that had to be the case. But we still are getting our best team as the champ. And this is just the way we do it. I think there are enough problems with all the other things. One thing is... They added Rutgers and Maryland to give Penn State some Eastern rivals. You've got to keep those three as a pod. You can't separate those three. Penn State would not agree to it. And there's such a natural division East and West at the moment. The other thing is there's enough rivalries that you need to keep going. Like I don't like the fact that that Purdue and Indiana are in opposite divisions and play every year because it throws off the rotation enough that like Ohio state then doesn't play Purdue that much because Purdue and Indiana have a rivalry. I split, I split the league up in a way that everybody would have a rival, but it's still hinky enough. It just doesn't make sense to have Rutgers or Penn state or Maryland playing Iowa or Minnesota or Nebraska every year. It doesn't make sense for them to be in the same divisions. So I think in the end, 
I have come around to the idea of like, all right, the East is always better. I don't want to play the game that the West is just as good. I don't care if during the season Iowa beats Indiana and that's some kind of win for the West. I'm talking about the best teams. So this is the way it is. And when they had the situation where they split Ohio State and Michigan, as they did for legions and legends and leaders, and you risked Ohio State and Michigan playing in the last game of the regular season and then again the next week in the Big Ten Championship, that that was going to be a cluster or moving Ohio State-Michigan to the middle of the year. That was a non-starter. I think this is the best they can do. And actually, in the end, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Do you think it's fine or do you still feel like, man, it's just weird to have this imbalance? And it's based on population growth and recruiting bases. Like, it's not going to change. There are just demographics here that the East has more people and more players. So in the end, are you okay with it or you feel like, nah, this is, this is weird? No, I agree with if, – if we're not going to play the game of, you know, oh, the East is just going to always be better. If we're just going to be okay with that, then, yeah, I have no problem with the way things are right now. So are you okay with it, Nathan, in the end? It's okay? Yeah, again, I just don't know. I don't think there's an easy fix to this situation. If you're going to keep East and West, you can't start playing with geography. We're not going to go to – I grew up – when I was like six years old, I thought Atlanta was on the West Coast because they were in the National League West, which makes no sense because that's where the Milwaukee Braves were before they moved to Atlanta, and they just didn't realign because they were lazy and stupid. And it would be both lazy and stupid to just flip teams over for the sake of of – of equality without changing the names, then you it's, it's well, but the names are, the names are meaningless. They, they can change the names, but, it, but the names are meaningless. Cause right now it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strict geographic division. You're also talking about when you start swapping teams over like that, you start playing with the time zones a little bit too. Yeah. But in the end, so, so competitive imbalance is a fact, but that's, that's a better solution than anything else. Living with competitive imbalance is better. Yeah, because – and also, again, I just don't know what it's costing the Big Ten in the long run. You're still getting – I mean, they yeah. still get – annually, there's still a pretty good cluster of Big Ten teams that finish in the top 8, 10, 12, 15. I think that will probably happen again next year. The Big Ten's still getting a lot of teams to a lot of bowl games. And I think it – you could even argue that once this goes to an eight-team situation, the Big Ten is as poised as anybody to maybe capitalize on that. Um, just looking at where teams have finished here in recent years, I think going to eight teams, you're gonna it, it's not outside the realm of possibility. You're going to get three Big Ten teams into those scenarios. All right, so we went long on that. We went towards seven minutes on that. This is ex- extending that conversation. It's why I grouped these two questions together. Question 16, should the Big Ten expand? Should they add Notre Dame? Who else? So if you're going to say they should expand, you've got to yeah. come up with two teams because you can't have 15. And that's so- why I say no, because who's the other team? So you would rather stay at 14 rather than add Notre Dame and and Team X. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because Notre who is the other team? And are they going to be equal in talent level to what Notre Dame brings to the table? Nathan, if you're going to add teams, you have to add substantial revenue to make it worth adding two more teams and splitting that revenue up with everybody else. And I, I so I think if you're doing it, then you're looking at really expanding this league geographically. Um, and if you're going to keep East and West, you're kind of going to get one of each, right? So I think Notre Dame makes, I guess. No, you don't have to do, get one of each because you just slide Purdue to the East. It'd be fine. Okay, yeah. you could just slide. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so, but, but even then, I think you're running out of obvious candidates. Um, and I, I guess if I were going to do it, I would. you'd have to swing big, which Delaney did. And I, I assume uh, Kevin Warren will do the same when he takes over. Um, I think you swing for something like, and, and people aren't going to like this, but you got to go get somebody like Texas. You got to go get somebody, somebody significant. 
because you've got to be bringing in television and other revenue that makes it worth giving a smaller spreading things out right um it's got to be somebody of that somebody that substantial i think notre dame probably fits also because they have the national um they have the national fit with with nbc contract but also they don't have some other they don't fit in some other ways so i i don't know um but those are the ones that kind of naturally come to mind for me it's got to be somebody big like that and i don't know if the big 10 they've gone as far as nebraska they've gone as far as east coast but i don't know if they want to go all the way down into texas it it, it does open up kind of a whole other thing so i think notre dame would be worth it and i think it's stupid that notre dame's not in the big 10 and i think it's stupid that the acc gave notre dame an out to have this little whatever they play four or five games a year so they can have a pseudo conference but not have to live by the rules. Um, um, I, the idea of Notre Dame wanting to make up its own rules all the time I think is antiquated and silly and the conferences should force them into making a decision that I, I would not play Notre Dame's game anymore and I would not be everybody scheduling these non-conference games. I just think it's, I think it's silly in the modern era for it to be there's a power 65 because there's there's five conferences, and then, and also then, hey, there's Notre Dame. Notre Dame in the Big Ten makes too much sense, and I would do it. I would do Notre Dame and Team X to get it done. I think Texas makes sense in a lot of ways. It's not that much further geographically. It would kill the Big 12, so I don't know if it's good for the world to, like, kill the Big 12, but if you kill the Big 12 and break it off into pieces and give a couple pieces of the Big 12 to the Pac-12, give a couple pieces to the SEC – give a couple, you know, move some things around and you wind up with this, the world that people have talked about where you end up with four conferences of 16 and the two that, that the Big Ten adds are Notre Dame and Texas. I think that works. I also think Notre Dame and Missouri would work. Missouri's not as big of a name, but Missouri fits right in with Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin. And I think in a world when you add, you move if we stay the divisions as they are, you move Purdue to the East, you add the two new teams to the West. If you add Notre Dame and Texas to the West, your competitive balance issue is solved overnight. If you add Notre Dame and Missouri, your competitive balance issue is better. Notre Dame becomes the best team in the West the minute they join. So I think that helps. And I think it's worth it. And I think it's worth it for Notre Dame. And I don't know why the I, – I mean, I do know why the ACC gave in, but it's like they didn't demand everything of Notre Dame. The ACC doesn't really get anything out of having Notre Dame with its arrangement, but Notre Dame gets to have a conference for all its other sports. And all the stuff, and it bothers me when the Big Ten is so sanctimonious about whatever that thing is, is the consortium of do our libraries work together. Dude, you're a sports league. I don't want to hear about if your libraries work together. That's not, it's not a research institution group. It's a sports league. Just be realistic about this. So I do think it should happen. I hope it does happen. I don't know if it ever will happen because the ACC has given Notre Dame this out. But Notre Dame and then either Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, one of those three would be fine, would be worth it, I think. And Notre Dame and Texas is a grand slam for the Big Ten. So I would like to see it someday. Yeah, I think Oklahoma might actually make a lot of sense uh, because it would give Texas more incentive also to to make this kind of jump into a league where they don't have any other geographic ties right now. I think that makes more sense than Missouri. I think just, again, we start talking about TV markets. There's enough overlap between Illinois and, and things that I don't know if the, if the St. Louis market alone is enough to bring Missouri in. All right. 
That is the expansion discussion. You can't have a good 20-question podcast without an expansion discussion. My God, there was that time, whatever it was, five, six, seven years ago, and that was all anybody wrote 24 hours a day, seven days a week was, what's your speculation? Back then when we speculated about who's going to be in what division instead of speculating when we were going to be able to leave our house. Um, Question 17 from the 614. If you – oh. What's the greatest college football moment that you remember that did not involve Ohio State and no Purdue either? From the 614, Nathan, do you have a college football moment? Um, I, I was trying to think about this uh, as far as moments. I, I remember watching the, um, the Cordell Stewart touchdown pass against Michigan. Oh, yeah. Um, that one I remember watching live when I was a kid. For some reason, we were watching that game on a Saturday afternoon uh, back in Central Illinois, and that that's like my earliest like big time college football like moment memory. Because um, I don't, I, I'm sure I didn't watch the Flutie pass against Miami live. Um, and then also I would say I remember I had this this fun memory of my brother coming over to visit and us watching the um, like getting dinner and watching the the um, the Texas USC national championship game together um, and just like hanging out and that, that just being like a fun night, just the two of us kind of hanging out watching that game. Steven, uh, Steven's memory is going to be like uh, four years ago when I was 16. Um, Steven, what's yours? No, it's, it's the Texas USC national championship game. Vince Young, you know, eight yard touchdown run for to end the game. And then they get the two point conversion to go up three points Reggie Bush, Matt Lenard, you know, Lindell White, just Mac Brown. You know, that's that's my first, I think, outside of obviously the 2002 National Championship game of Ohio State. But that USC-Texas game is probably the first, like, full college football season that for a guy who's 11, 12 years old at the time, I actually paid attention to from the beginning of the season to the end of the season where watching those two teams as the number one and number two teams all year long, you had three of the – Five Heisman finalists were fun, were playing in that game. Yeah, that that that's the greatest national championship game I've ever seen. So this is my old guy thing. I covered that game. So that's one of, of that was that was uh, my first year on the beat for Ohio State. And I've told this story before. People know this. I covered Ohio State. My first year was 2005. I covered the Ohio State Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl. And then I was like, hey, I'm already on the West Coast. Like, can I go to the national championship game at the Rose Bowl? And they're like, okay. So like that's how newspapers operated back then. If I if I asked that now, um, they would tell me to walk back to Ohio right now. Um, that is a ridiculous thing to ask. How do you even get credentials for that at that point? Because don't you have to do credentials Cleveland like a week? Cleveland Plain Dealer, man. Cleveland Plain Dealer, baby. Come on now. Come on now. Cleveland Plain Dealer. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, that's back when people did stuff like that. I mean, it used to be that big papers covered big things, even when there wasn't a local team there. So I very vividly like have the image from the press box of like Vince Young running it, running into that corner of the end zone and remembering that, um, Nathan, you mentioned you're too young for the Flutie pass. I remember the Flutie pass 1984 beats Miami. I remember watching that on TV and this is just a thing that jumped to my head because you remember weird stuff. So I grew up in Pennsylvania um, I grew up a Penn State fan. That was the team. That was the state college football team. That's who I rooted for. That's who everybody around me rooted for. I grew up about an hour and a half from State College. And in 1982, when I was uh, nine, uh, Penn State won the national championship in 1982. 
But they had a game against Alabama in the middle of that year. It was Penn State's only loss that season, and I'm looking it up. Uh, Penn State was number three. Alabama was number four. They played in Alabama. Uh, it was Joe Paterno versus Bear Bryant. And I remember this very vividly. Penn State was punting, and it looked like the Penn State punter kicked it backwards over his own head on the punt. That like he somehow swung his foot in a way that he punted the ball the wrong direction. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? That guy punted it over his own head. And what had actually happened was the up back for Penn State, the punt protector, had backed up in his protection far enough that when the Penn State guy punted it, it hit the punt protector in the back and caromed backwards toward the Penn State end zone. But in the moment, I remember thinking, how did he punt that backwards? Penn State loses that game 42-21. It's a close game at that point, and it's like the craziest special teams mistake I've ever heard of. The punt protector backs into the punt, and Penn State loses, but then goes on to win the national championship. They beat Georgia for the national championship that year. So it's weird things that stick into your head, but I'll always remember that guy punting it the wrong way. Vince Young was good, though. He's a good player. Um, All right. Question number 18, recruiting question from the 863. Do you think the Buckeyes are shooting for Kentucky players in recruiting because Kentucky is sweeping the mid to lower level talent from Ohio? Or is it because Kentucky has some good talent for this year's recruiting class? Would love to hear each of your takes on this discussion. I look forward to possibly hearing this topic. Go Bucks from the 863. Stephen, why is Ohio State uh, dancing around with Kentucky high school players in this cycle? Because there's some talented guys in Kentucky that Ohio State wants. They don't have to play the game of, oh, oh, Kentucky's trying to sweep in on our territory, so we have to do the same to them. Kentucky's going to always be able to take these mid- to lower-level guys in Ohio that Ohio State doesn't have room for, it just doesn't want. Because Ohio State's going to get the four- and five-star kids from their state, and then they're going to go out, and they're going to get four- and five-star kids from everywhere else. And if it's necessary, like they did in 2020, they'll come back around and they'll fill out their class with some lower you know, guys who are probably four or five year developmental three-star guys from Ohio. But the option to do that is always going to be available to them, whether Kentucky is coming into Ohio or not. So in this class, Jagger Burton is the number one ranked player in the state of Kentucky for this class. He's the offensive lineman that Ohio state is still in on. Number two is Jansen Dunn, who has committed to Ohio state, um, the defensive back. How do you – Crowdis' uh, first name, how do you say it, Stephen? Deckel. Deckel? Mm-hmm. It's not Dekel, it's Deckel. Deckel. Deckel Crowdis, uh, receiver, just committed to Kentucky the other day, but Ohio State was dancing with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan Dingle is the number four-ranked player at Kentucky. Nathan, is he one of the guys you talked to there? He's a tight end. Yep. Ohio State's in on him a little bit, right? Yeah, they, at least they were at that point. I haven't reached back out to him. But, I mean, they, it still seems like they're trying to get tight ends in this class, yeah. So that's Ohio State has the number two guy. They at least were recruiting to some degree the number three and four guys, and they're favored to get the number one guy. Um, Nathan, do you think it's any kind of kind of strategic thing, or is it just good players nearby? Yeah, I think it's just that's where they saw an opportunity to get players at positions they also needed. I mean, you know, I mean, Jagger Burton is is good enough. I think they would have gone after him regardless. But you know, with someone like Dingle. Um, they needed tight ends, and he was one that, that they liked. I think he went to their camp and impressed them last year. So I, I think right now I would still say it's more coincidental, and I certainly don't think it's it's anything about, you know, um, 
pettiness or, or whatever. I mean, I think Ohio State is – if you want to come in and take some in-state three stars that Ohio State in theory could have had, I don't know that that's going to get Ohio State's blood up that much. Um, so you guys think – you guys are viewing it that if you think there's any other motive to going into Kentucky that it's like pettiness as opposed to strategic? You don't think there would be any strategic idea to go into Kentucky? Well, I think again, it, not, it, not as a, yeah, not as a, a retaliatory thing that Kentucky right. doing it to them. No, it would be strategically, it would be there's talent here that we know we can take advantage of okay. and, and, and bring in. Not they're not doing. But I think the question is, or is it a response to what Kentucky? Okay, did? I think it is a response, but not for pettiness. Ohio State, there's talent everywhere. They decide where they want to spend their time. They're always going to recruit Ohio, but every cycle, they decide where they want to go. Jagger Burton is the 156th ranked player in this class. He's an offensive lineman. They could spend that time on a kid ranked in the hundreds in Tennessee or Virginia or Illinois, but they happen to be spending time on him. Kentucky is not taking away players in Ohio that Ohio State wants typically, but I do think there have been a couple kids over time that if Kentucky comes into Ohio and gets them early and maybe they're kids that maybe Ohio State would want to slow play a little bit, maybe come back at the end if they miss on some other guys, maybe let them develop a little bit. Kentucky, everybody knows it. Everybody's written about it and talked about it. And it's not – Kentucky is not taking away the best Ohio kids, but they are – the number one threat for the mid-tier Ohio kids. And the best way to make an opponent maybe to hurt their offense is to make them play a little defense. And if Kentucky is not ever worried, Kentucky's getting the best players in Kentucky. Ohio State, I don't know if you guys know this, the state of Ohio touches the state of Kentucky. But yet they have not really done a lot there. And now all of a sudden they are doing some stuff there. If you look back at previous Kentucky classes, Alabama's been in there. Tennessee's been in there. Kentucky doesn't always get the best guys. I think it's quite possible that maybe, and they wouldn't go recruit guys who aren't good enough to play here, but I think maybe there's some idea of, you know what? Vince Marrow, who is a tremendous recruiting director for Kentucky, let's make sure that while Kentucky's spending time in Ohio, they aren't just letting, they aren't able to get their Kentucky kids without a fight. Let's at least make Kentucky fight for the best kids in Kentucky. And you know what? We like some of them enough that we actually want one or two. It's about talent, yes, but there's talent everywhere. It's about where you choose to spend your time getting the talent. And I think maybe there could be something to it. But in the end, you guys just disagree with that. I disagree with it because I'm just just looking at the Kentucky's rankings through the years. Kentucky hasn't, you know, consistently had the top players in their own state because, you know, those guys have gone Rondell Moore, for instance, he's at Purdue right now. He was a top player in Kentucky in 2019. No, 2018. I'm sorry. That was Rondell Robinson in 2019. Nathan. Yeah. I just, I, I think it's, it's more, I, I want to see it. If it, if it's something that they, they kind of set up camp and stay here for a couple of years, maybe that's, there's something to be said for that. But I still, this seems to me more like going after just kind of an unusual cluster of talent that happened to spike in Kentucky this year. And it is nearby. It is nearby. It's not like yeah. recruiting mm -hmm. California. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to draw that circle of like, whatever, four hours around your campus that other people have talked about, you know, some, some, a lot of, a lot of programs talk about that, like three, four hour radius. A lot of these, 
players fit into that radius. They just happen to be in, on the southern end of it. All right, from the 614, question 19. ESPN comes to you and says you can lead a production of a 30 for 30. What do you pick to do? It can be Ohio State related or it can be something else, whatever you want. Steven, you are the producer on the Tyvis Powell Cardale Jones reality show. <laughs> now yeah. you are the producer on a 30 for 30. What are you doing? I'm going Miami Heat years from 2010 to 2014 with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. That's, the I think, the first notoriety national pro sports team of the social media era. So we got to see a little bit of it, but to just see it from their point of view and see all the things they went through and Cleveland Cavalier fans throwing batteries at LeBron and D-Wade their first trip back. I just think that's what that's going to get made at some point by somebody. Um, if I was doing 30 for 30, that, that would be the first thing I would bring up. And you know, given the 10-part series on Jordan, LeBron, at least 10. LeBron's oh, like, yeah. man, come on, man. Who's yeah. doing my thing? LeBron's ready right now for someone to do that. Yeah. Nathan, what are you doing? Which uh, which era of the St. Louis Cardinals would you do your documentary on? Well, I'm not doing the Cardinals, but I, I do have a baseball answer, and it goes. It, it's connected to what we're seeing right now with um, Last Dance, and we we're talking earlier about Michael Jordan not being a good guy, and uh, my subject would be Albert Bell. I didn't pick him just because it's a Cleveland guy, but obviously um, that was where he had the the greatest success in his baseball career was with the Indians. But just such an enigmatic guy and a person who was just like this this baseball monster for a while in in a number of ways and then I feel like he's just sort of vanished like he never gets talked about really anymore if he's ever brought up it's for like when he gave a forearm shiver to Fernando Vina running between first and second or when he chased those kids in his Humvee or whatever one year at Halloween like there's all these crazy stories about him and uh and being just kind of this surly one of the surliest jerks in baseball history and a guy who who probably wasn't fully appreciated for how great he was. Um, but I know that you're not going to get any cooperation from Albert Bell for this. So I think probably I would narrow it down and do a story about the time that he got caught with a corked bat or suspected corked bat. And uh, Indians pitcher Jason Grimsley climbed through the ventilation system to go into the umpire's room and steal the bat back. And then I think you could turn it away from, you could mention all of how much of a jerk Albert Bell is and was at his core but then it kind of becomes this like caper movie like this oceans 11 thing about uh, retelling the story and you get to have some fun with it so that's i think the way i would go because you get to tell boaster you get to have the biography but then you also get to kind of narrow it down and really focus on just like this one moment which i think a lot of the really good 30 30s have done you take this as one little nugget and really blow it up those are good. Uh, this is I, I I always I don't know how much people care about super personal stuff sometimes for us, but you know they asked so so my answer are two more personal things. One is um, probably the team that I loved the most as a fan in my life is probably the 1993 Philadelphia Phillies. I was like junior in college when they lost the World Series to the Blue Jays that year, and it was just like a collection of meatheads. Um, I think they're probably all juicing, but like it's like Lenny Dykstra and and John Cruck and. Darren Dalton and Pete Incavillia, and it's like a crazy collection of guys. And it's funny, I just found a Twitter account the other day for the 1993 Phillies where there's a guy who's like going through the season day by day and tweeting out video highlights of like, here's what happened to this team on this day. And it just is rekindling. Lots of people ask us fan questions, and they have over the years, and we've answered them. And I often talk about how my fandom has been beaten out of me in a lot of ways by doing this for 25 years. But that's when I was still – I was in college. My friends and I talked about it all the time. They were just – it was a cool team to follow, and they were a bunch of knuckleheads. 
Um, and I'm sure there are some behind the scenes stories there on those guys. So that's like a personal thing for me. And the other one is, this is also personal and I've talked about this. Elena Deladon, who is one of the best players in the WNBA right now. I covered her in Delaware when she was in eighth grade. Um, she has a very compelling personal story and I was the first person that wrote about it. She has a severely disabled sister, uh, that has been a huge influence on Elena's life. Um, Elena was recruited by Gino Ariema to go to UConn. She was the best high school basketball player in the country. Gino Ariema told me when she was in ninth grade, she's a LeBron James of women's basketball. And she went to UConn. She, she was homesick. She came home. She gave up basketball. She went to the University of Delaware. She played volleyball for a little bit. Then she came back and played basketball. And now she's one of the best players in the WNBA. And she has a very compelling personal story. It's been done multiple times now. But I just think it's, an, it's a, a, a tremendous story about women's athletics. It's a story about burnout. It's a story about expectations. It's a story about life balance between your family and the sport that you love. It's a story about sort of navigating your way in the world when you are blessed with all this talent, but you're not exactly sure what to do with it. And it turns out great. She got exactly to where she should have gotten to. She just did it in her own way. So if you know, if you don't know much about Elena, I mean, go look up her story. It's a fantastic one, but I certainly would like to dive into that thing. There is a good, I think, real sports segment that is kind of about that. Yeah, I think so. I, and I know, I mean, I've seen the interviews, you know, mm -hmm. to, that have done it and that kind of thing. But again, if you're really going to dig in, I think it could be, it, there's a lot yeah. there. Um, last one, number 20, and then we'll get to the fast food. From the 804, recently Jim Harbaugh said he was in favor of a one and done situation for college football, just as it exists in basketball. You guys in favor of that. This came out the other day. Jim Harbaugh wrote a giant thing about how he thinks this should work. He wants athletes, football players, to have more freedom to be able to leave when they feel like they're ready to leave and not be beholden to not going to the NFL until they're three years out of high school. Um, he, it does seem like he put a lot of thought into it. He started a conversation. Nathan, that idea, and, and whether it comes from Jim Harbaugh or not, but the idea of that college athletes, college football players should be just like college basketball players, that they – they can leave whenever they want to once they're here. What do you think of that? Well, it's up to the NFL. I mean, I'm always up. For, I'm always open to the free market. Really, I think individuals should kind of be allowed to to move on with their careers when when they're when it's their choice. But right now, it's the NFL that's saying we don't want those guys until they've been in college for three years or or the equivalent, right? So unless the NFL, it's the NFL that needs to change its rule here. It's not college football that's holding these guys back. So, so let's 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 stop there. Because baseball has it where you can go out of high school, but if you go to college, to a regular college, then you've got to stay three years, right? Isn't if you go to a four-year college, you do have to stay for at least three years unless – or or be – I want to say if you turn 21, I think you can also go okay, if you have so, to be a little older. So we know that, that – but I think that could be something that the NFL works or whatever. So it's like I, I understand that it's – I want to get theoretical a little bit here. So – if the if the NFL said Jim Harbaugh will go along with whatever you say, would you like that? I understand that that the NFL it's the NFL's rule, it's not college football's rule necessarily, but you do think that would be good for everybody. I didn't read all of the details of what he said last week because again, I was uh, just in a this black part of it. Hole. You but, should be able but, to go. You should be able to go pro basically at any point, whether right out of high school, whether after a year, whether after two years, whatever. 
I think I think I think athletes should be able to be able to go through the process of the evaluation to find out if the NFL wants them. If the NFL wants them, they should be able to go no matter what age they are. But 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 because but that's where it gets tricky comparing football to basketball or baseball because the physical demands are so much different. Steven. No, because of what that last part you just said, I think there's a big difference between at 18 years old and getting hit by a linebacker who is 20 years old versus getting hit by a linebacker who is a 26 year old grown man, the physical, you know, the stuff that physically what is being called asked of you at the NFL level and what's being called and asked of you at the college level and even the high school level is too much of a difference for you to just skip the whole step. While with basketball and baseball, which are more skill-based, look, Kevin Durant's a fine example. This man couldn't bench press the bar at the combine, yet he came to the NBA and have a 20 points from day one. You can do that and not necessarily have the – and, and still have some physical maturation that you have to go through. And the same with baseball. While with football, because it's that much of a contact sport, I don't think it's a good idea for an 18-year-old to think, because I'm dominating high school kids, I'm going to be able to be anywhere near as good or even good at all at the NFL level. I think having that three three years, maybe maybe you go down to two years, but – Having some intermediate step where you're there and you can have a physical maturation, especially when you look at how guys mature athletically and physically at Ohio State, I think guys in football need that more than the other two major sports. But if an NFL team is willing to draft somebody and pay them to then work in their system, as in their incubator or whatever, um, for one, two, even three years, um, why is that a choice that the teams and the players should get to make? Because everybody's not Chase Young where they're physically ready to do that at 18 right, years Right, but, the, but the NFL is not going to ask everybody to do it. They're only going to ask certain players. So you're asking – you're saying two players a year, basically, who are going to be physically ready to do that, and everybody right. else still needs to go to college. But why not – yeah, but why put a barrier up for those two players? <laughs> I mean, part of, the, part of the Harbaugh pr- proposal is being able to test waters, go into a draft, and if you're not drafted, come back, which I think I'm is not part- – Okay, I'm not against you doing – I'm not against you having the option to do it. I just don't agree with the sentiment. Of, I do think there needs to be something in place when you're talking about a physical sport like football where you need to go through that maturation process at a college level or any, at an intermediate level before you get into the NFL. I do think, um, and again, and, and I, I think the idea that in some that in sports, pro guys get to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it and play for any team they want, and there's no rules and you're totally free, is is just not true. And so, the idea that there has to be sort of like unlimited blanket, no matter what, a player should be able to leave whenever he wants to. Um, I don't especially in a world where if we're moving toward paying players, then I think if we're going to have a world and I think we'll get there and I think we should, um, we're not there yet. But I think if the more that college sports becomes professionalized, the more there should be rules and limitations that if a school is going to pay you and recruit you and provide all these things, you can't just come for a year. You've got to do at least at least two years. If you're still an amateur and you're not, we're not giving you any money. Maybe you then should be able to do whatever you want. But Again, when you have these discussions, it's like, oh, these amateur athletes, they're, they're bound by all these limitations. Again, everybody – Baker Mayfield could not go play for the Cowboys tomorrow. He's not allowed to. That's the rule. 
He got picked by the Browns, and he has to be a Brown for like four or five years. That's the rule. So like because he signed a contract. I understand that, but I do think if we get to a point where we're have a have a situation where college players are being compensated, then I think you absolutely can have limitations on their ability to to move around at will as part of that. That when you come to college, if if we're going to have it that you're going to be paid and all this stuff is tied together, I I think in the end I think football is different enough than basketball. The thing that I don't, I, I question about, there's just not that many first year guys who contribute right away. Mm-hmm. And I do think it would be tough for the sport to have a bunch of guys coming in for one year, not really playing and then leaving before they contribute at all. And then you've spent, you've used up a spot. You've taken up a lot of recruiting time and energy. And like, what did the school get out of it? Right. Um, I think maybe two years would make sense. So, and I also think there's a world of like, listen, if you don't want to come do this, don't come do this. Have a world where the NFL can take you and develop you and you have that freedom. But if you come, then you've got to stay at least two years. So we get a little bit out of our investment, kind of like baseball, maybe not three, but one and done for college football. As much as I'm pro athlete and pro player and almost all this stuff one and done in college football something about that doesn't quite seem right to me there are in almost every case it won't be right but the nfl teams aren't going to take it's going to be the market will correct that i don't think i don't think it's going to you're going to see a big run on guys who aren't physically ready still being drafted and if they are the teams will pay for that they'll and and that'll get corrected over time from the ohio state perspective chase young would have been drafted after his first year Correct. After his first year, he's the fifth defensive end for Ohio State. He's just starting. They're just starting to try to see what he can be. But physically, he would have been ready. And so then he would have left. And I guess like, I guess that's good for Chase, but I also see how that's bad for Ohio State. And in this conversation, I don't think the sport and this universities are zero part of the equation. I think in basketball – It's so much easier. All the things Steven said, you can just sort of do it easier and it's easier to cycle guys through. Um, I think, I think there is some say that the school should have in that, that it doesn't have to be a hundred percent, whatever the players want to do, whenever they want to do it. In a world with name, image, and likeness compensation, I can kind of get into that argument and, and see where you're coming from in a world of no image, name, image, and likeness argument, which is what Chase Young spent the past two years in. I don't, I don't have any sympathy for the schools because they're not staying around for the education anyway. And it kind of becomes a sham. You have an absolute sham right now in college basketball where guys having to come in for one year and go through the motions and, and pretend that they're college students and then going on to the NBA. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense to keep putting those limitations up. Um, it, that's what makes kind of a mockery of college athletics more than anything else. And I, do, yeah, I don't agree with the one-year thing in basketball either. I do think it needs to be either they can come straight from high school or you're there for two years. So that means you're actually there and not just walking around a college campus for nine months. And we're seeing that. There are guys choosing that now, that they are going to these um, – they're, they're starting up a developmental league. Some guys are starting to choose that option rather than go to college. We've seen a couple guys go overseas. I think that is – I think that to me is the ideal probably for both sports is if you want to go out of high school, go. If you go to a four-year university, you have to stay at least two years. And, and then you are compensated – whether through name, image, and likeness or being paid by the university, you are paid while you're there, not as much as you would be as a pro, 
but to ask the universities to just be a one-stop, what do we really get out of it? They're not, you know, and the kid doesn't really want to be here. I think that is not the best world. So zero or two, I think is better than one, 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 one. All we right. Need, we need we need more than five minutes about this. We'll come back. Yeah. Well, but I, I don't know wrong. if people think it's that interesting because who knows what's going to happen. I think this is the exact right amount of time because okay, we disagree, but who cares? We don't know what's going to happen, and we've said our disagreements. I think this is the kind of thing actually on this on this podcast where we end up talking in circles. Mostly me. We've made Possibly. our. I, yeah. I don't know what else there is to say. You can disagree, but I think in the end, people would rather hear us say whether we think Wyatt Davis is going to be an All American or not. Um, or talk about whether five guys is better than in and out. That's what we're going to get into next. If you participated and we used one of your 20 questions for this, thank you so much for doing that. I thought the questions were great. We got a lot more than 20. I have them stacked up. We will use a lot of them in future podcasts, but right now we'll take a break. If you don't like fast food talk, we'll see you later. You can pretend I said the Buckeye talk thing at the end. If you do like a little fast food talk, we'll drop about 15 or 20 minutes of that at the end of this podcast. We'll be right back. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We did this uh, We did this twice on previous podcasts. It's the Barstool Ultimate Fast Food and Fast Casual Restaurant Bracket. We did all the first-round matchups. If you want to go back in your podcast feed, we labeled that in the headline, in the back half of the headlines. We said Fast Food Bracket, Fast Food Bracket Part 2, because this is now the second round. So we're talking about the, the ones that have already advanced um, through our initial – voting so these are now like one versus eight two versus seven matchups like that it's going to get a little tougher the three of us vote again we appreciate barstool for doing this it's fun jeff d low is the guy who did it here we go one seed mcdonald's versus nine seed sheets steven sheets gets the win for me i'm not a big mcdonald's fan of the fact that it's got wi-fi so I'm going to go sheets. You can get food. You can get some snacks. You can get gas. That is true because the times we have, at times we have gone to McDonald's to work and Steven will come into McDonald's with Cane's chicken yep. fingers and like a boss, just sit in McDonald's and chomp on the chicken from next door. Do you ever feel like guilty about that? Or are you like, man, if you want me to eat your food, make better food? I am, yeah, make better food if you want me to eat it. I'm here for your Wi-Fi and that's it. All right, sheets for Steven. Nathan. I really want to pick sheets every time I would come out and visit friends in um, Pennsylvania and, and go to sheets, drive past sheets. I would always go back to Indiana and Illinois and be really jealous that they don't have a place. We have Casey's there, which just has kind of some bad, greasy pizza, but it's not the same. Um, having said that, McDonald's is just the old standby. I mean, it's just, there's, it, it, I keep going back to it no matter, uh, I, I, I try to get out and it keeps pulling me back in. So I'm, I think it, it's a tough win, but I'm going McDonald's. I will happily break this tie and say McDonald's. I actually craved it today. I went and got it for lunch. It didn't taste it as good as it used to taste when I was like, there was McDonald's grease, like in my bloodstream. Um, I can tell that I'm eating healthier because it made me feel weird. Um, but it was still good. So McDonald's for the win. McDonald's advances. Next matchup, and we got some blowback from this, and I like blowback. Quiznos, as a 13 seed, beat Whataburger in the first round, and people were outraged about that, at least one texture in particular, just angry. Um, so right now it's the 13 seed Quiznos 
against the sixth seed Panda Express. Nathan. That's a five seed, actually. Um, Panda's a five seed? Yes. Oh, yes. Five, yes. yes. It's such a small – I have my reading glasses on, but it's small numbers, and my eyesight's getting worse. Okay, Panda, Quiznos. I mean, Panda is the only Asian food on this, right? Because it's the only fast food Asian. It's the only like fast food Asian. I know that it's not authentic Asian. I know that I would even can I would even say it's not actually good Chinese food. But when if if there's too many other things like Quiznos and there's only one thing like Panda Express. And on top of that, I do kind of like Panda Express, so I'm going Panda. Steven. Yeah, Panda Express is not the best Chinese food, but it's better than Quiznos, so it has to win. How did Quiznos win in the first round then? Who likes Quiznos? I don't think any of us have been to Whataburger. I've, no, I've been to Whataburger before, and I just didn't – it wasn't good to me. It was very overhyped. Quiznos stinks. Uh, all right. Six-seed Hardee's against Arby's. Hardee's versus Arby's. Wow. That is a that is a classic second-round matchup. Arby's the three-seed. Hardee's the six-seed. Steven. Arby's still. Fries. Curly fries win. Nathan. This was an even more classic matchup back when Hardee's was what Hardee's used to be, which was kind of a roast beef place. But now that it's been corrupted by Carl's Jr. and it's kind of a, just a burger place, um, I'm going Arby's. Arby's with the sweep. Seven. No, Panera Bread lost in the last. I'm still mad Panera Bread lost. Number 10, Jersey Mike's versus number two, Chipotle, Nathan. I just I'm a big fan of Jersey Mike's. It's my favorite sub place, my favorite sandwich place. I'm going Jersey Mike's. Steven. Chipotle can, no, I have to go with Chipotle. Still. Good. Chipotle wins. They advance. Next bracket, Chick-fil-A the one seed and Moe's as the eight seed, Steven. Which is not Moe should not this is a terrible matchup for Moe's because Chick-fil-A has to win for me. I went on a rant about Chick-fil-A, so I have to keep them in the bracket as long as possible. We we did have some blowback from Nathan's kind of lack of respect for Chick-fil-A early. Yeah. So, Nathan, where are you now on this matchup against Moe's? I, yeah, I'm still voting Moe's. I, I just – I'm not – I'm just not that impressed by Chick-fil-A. I feel like it's kind of a one-trick pony, and uh, I like the variety I can get at Moe's, and it's I, I like it better than the other burrito places. It's a one-trick pony, but the pony it is is Secretariat, brother. Yeah. Come yeah. on now. I, I don't, yeah, I can't. I can't get there. All right. Culver's the four seed. Wait. So who'd you vote for? Uh Chick Fil A. Okay. Um, sorry, Moe's. I do like Moe's. No, don't disrespect, but Chick Fil A is going to be pretty strong, I think here. Culver's versus Domino's, and someone sent me. Uh, and in honor of Jerry Stiller, who just passed away, not playing Frank Costanza on Seinfeld, but Arthur Spooner on King of Queens. After I called Domino's Domino's, joking around on the last pod, uh, they, that person sent me a clip of Arthur Stiller, of not Arthur, of Jerry Stiller as Arthur Spooner on King of Queens, calling it Domino's and saying, oh, order pizza from the local place down the street. It's called Domino's. So shout out to that. Culver's Domino's, Nathan. Sorry, I'd moved to my uh, mouthpiece. Uh, Culver's. Steven. Culver's Domino's is still disgusting. I like them both, but I agree with Culver's. Okay. Uh, I am having trouble reading my handwriting on some of this stuff. All right. White Castle, is that right? Yes. White Castle as the sixth seed. Subway as the three seed. This is getting weird. White Castle versus Subway. That is a weird second-round matchup. I don't like White Castle, so I'm going to say Subway. Nathan. 
Yeah, these are the two most overrated, overseeded teams on the bracket, probably. I'm, but I'm gonna probably say uh, Subway just because it's actually food. Do you agree with that, Stephen, or would yeah, you go to White Castle? Yeah, no, get White Castle out of here. Subway all the way. Goodbye, White Castle. All right, uh, Papa John's, the seven seed. Sparrow, the 15 seed, the big upset over Burger King in round one. I did want to – we got a, a nice email from our friend Jamie Turner uh, who had some Burger King words to share. I did want to share this, that my wife worked at Burger King in Iowa when she was in high school. And this is not a joke. Her manager at Burger King was named Ada Fry. A-D-D-A was Stop her first it. name. Her last name was <laughs> Fry. So if you went up and my, my wife swears to this, I like still almost believe it. If my wife was working the counter and you went up and said, oh, can I get a Whopper and order fries and a drink? And she'd say Whopper, fries, Coke. And they'd say, you know what? Give me one more fry. And she'd say, add a fry. And her manager would come out of the back and say, what do you need? And it was like, no, I'm just saying add a fry to the order. I, I refuse to believe the story. Yeah. I think you're being played with. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was all a long con yeah. back before you even had a podcast that you would one day tell that story and she has sound like an idiot. pointed. We looked her up on Facebook, and unless my wife made a fake Facebook account. Long con. Yeah. Yeah. Ada Fry exists in the world, and I'm just going to say this very quickly. I know we have some young ears listening. My wife also says that she knew one, knew someone growing up whose name was Fonda Dix. So I don't know no. what my wife is doing to me here, but – those are the people in her life in central Iowa. But Burger King went down in round one, so this is Papa John Sparrow in a pizza showdown. Steven. Sparrow is better pizza than Papa John's. Nathan. Sparrow. The 15 seed moves on with my agreement as well. All right. Moving quickly, five guys as the one seed in the other bracket against Zach, Zaxby's as the nine seed. Uh, Bill Landis, kind enough to point out there's some Zaxby's, I guess, in the Indianapolis area, yeah. not just in the South. Oh. Um, Zaxby's, five guys. Nathan? I've seen Zaxby's, but I've never been there. Um, and based on that, I guess I'm going to go five guys, because even though I'm not a huge fan, I like it enough, and I don't know, well, I don't know Zaxby's, so. Steven? I think I'm going to go Zaxby's. I think I have, because I've only had it once in my life, and I've had five guys a couple more times. I still have an affection for Zaxby's because the one time I had it was good. So I'll go Zaxby's. I thought you really liked five guys, though. I do, but, like, I really like Zaxby's, too. Wow. Then five guys goes down because yeah. I am Zaxby's <laughs> all the way on this. I have said I'm not a five guys guy. Zaxby's, the 9-1 upset. Gets the buzzer beater at the, you know, full court five, heave. Five guys screaming. Five guys shouldn't have been a one seed. That that's kind of ridiculous. I feel, I feel good about this. Four seed Pizza Hut, five seed Bojangles. Steven. This is another harsh one, but I gotta go Bojangles over Pizza Hut, and that's killing my heart. But Nate. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm nostalgically I always gotta pick the hut. Yeah, I like the hut. I mean I'm going I'm I'm I stand tall for the hut, so sorry Bojangles. To, to be fair, I'm not upset that they still won. I just the game was close. I'll give yeah. I'll give it that. That's good. All right, six seed Jack in the Box, three seed Popeyes. Steven. Popeyes. Nathan. 
Yeah, even even despite their spicy sandwich fraud, I'm gonna take Popeyes. That is, they are a little dinged on that, but I'll go yeah. Popeyes as well. All right, uh, Wingstop as the ten seed, In and Out as the two seed. I'm a I'm an In and Out guy, so I'm gonna go In and Out. Nathan. Yeah, I'll take In and Out as well. Steven. So In and Out's gonna move on, but I'm gonna go Wingstop over In and Out. Okay. So uh, in and out, the path cleared a little bit in that bracket. Five guys now out of it. So the team, yeah. the, the restaurant that will emerge into the final four will either be Zaxby's, Pizza Hut, Popeye's, or in and out in that particular bracket. We now go to the final bracket in the, 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 the Dave Thomas region. We have one seed Wendy's versus Rallies. Oh, Checkers and Rallies as the nine seed. Steven, Wendy's or Rallies? Mm. Wendy's because of the spicy chicken nuggets. They are legit. Nathan. Yeah, the Wendy's and the spicy chicken sandwich I'm a huge fan of. I think that's that's better and Popeye's better than Chick-fil-A. I'm taking Wendy's. All right. I agree with that. This, I think, might be the best matchup uh, of this round of 32. Four-seed Shake Shack, five-seed Steak and Shake. Kind of confusing. Very interesting. Nathan. Uh, you know, Steak and Shake isn't as refined as Shake Shack, but it's also so much cheaper. Um, yeah. I, there's just so much that I like about Steak and Shake and that I admire. I'm taking Steak and Shake. Steven, you agree? Yeah, I agree. Steak and Shake. Milkshakes take the win for me. And that, I think, is the correct breakdown. I mean, Shake Shack's good, but I but I think, Nathan, you've got it right. That, is it uh, like three times as good yeah. in terms of price? Yeah. I just, Steak and Shake is just a little more relatable. It's not like a special occasion to go to Steak and Shake. It's part of your life. Shake Shack... We don't go to Shake Shack just for the heck of it. You've got to have a reason to go to Shake Shack. But I appreciate Steak and Shake always being there for us. All right. Another big one that we've talked about might make a run here. Six seed Canes. I respect this bracket making. This is a showdown that they made on purpose. Canes, the six seed. KFC, the three seed. Steven. Canes. I really don't like KFC chicken. Nathan. I I do like KFC chicken, and I like that I can go there. Like I talked about last time, you get kind of a full meal, vegetables, all the stuff. Um, I'm I'm going KFC, but I mean no disrespect to Canes. All right, I'll break the tie with Canes. Um, they're good, bro. Canes is good. I, it's one of those things that I, I, I still surprises me sometimes. It feels like the kind of thing that like you would have an idea for. Like when we were kids, mm-hmm. there weren't chicken finger restaurants. It'd be like, oh man, what if someone had a restaurant that was just chicken fingers? And then everybody's like, yeah, let's do that. And it's like, oh, they did it really well. So I respect that. Final one, like almost the lack of variety. If you do the one thing super duper well, I almost sometimes respect your lack of variety. Although I also said I like the Zaxby's variety. So I'm contradicting myself. Last one, 10 seed Qdoba, two seed Taco Bell. Qdoba knocked off Skyline Chili in the first round, not surprisingly. Again, kind of a similar veins here. Mexican food matchup, Nathan. Ooh. Um, Cadoba. Steven. Yeah, Cadoba. I will make it unanimous. I, I think Cadoba as a 10 seed, it's it, the quality is, I think, significantly better than Taco Bell. And again, talking price here, it's not three times as much, right? I mean, I know Taco Bell is practically free sometimes, but Cadoba is still a reasonable place that you can stop for lunch and not empty out your wallet. So that is our sweet 16. McDonald's, Panda, Arby's, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A. Uh, now I can't read the other one. Oh, Culver's. Chick-fil-A, Culver's, 
Subway, Sparrow, Zaxby's, Pizza Hut, Popeye's, In-N-Out, Wendy's, Steak and Shake, Cane's, Qdoba. Our Sweet 16 in our fast food bracket. We will move on and vote on that on a later podcast, but for now, that's going to do it. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Appreciate all the questions. Thursday podcast, Ohio State Buffalo Week 3 preview with Buffalo coach Lance Leipold. Something fun and crazy for Friday. Um, and we're going to trot out something, a new kind of podcast on Mondays from now on. We'll tell you about that a little bit later. But for now, uh, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We certainly appreciate those. Try the text, 614-350-3315. And make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you're getting it five days a week. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, kind of shorter. The big one every Wednesday. Um, next week, it is Rutgers that we will be previewing. So again, you're getting Buffalo on the Thursday pod. Next week, we move into the Big Ten schedule, Ohio State versus Rutgers. But for now, on behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.